It follows from the special theory of relativity that mass and energy are food, are but different manifestations of the same thing. A somewhat unfamiliar conception for the average mind. Furthermore, the equation E is equal mc square, in which energy is put equal to mass multiplied with the square of the velocity of light, showed that very small amount of mass may be converted into a very large amount of energy, and vice versa. The mass and energy were, in fact, equivalent. According to the formula mentioned above, this was demonstrated by Kokra and Walton in 1938. This is episode 116, where we talk about Al Einstein. I'm Sputnik. With me, as always, is Victor. Hello. And, of course, Tor. Hey there. So, I don't know if you gentlemen have been watching the Republican debates. And I use the word (laughs) debates and Republican both very loosely. The most recent one was really fascinating when, you know, because Rick Perry's tactic now, after he gibbered, is to just talk over everybody, you know, most especially Mittens. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, so Mittens like went over and put his hand on his shoulder and said, I'm talking now. <laughs> you know, and it was like, oh, my God. Wow. No, I didn't see that. How far are we from gunplay? <laughs> Actually, sweet. I'm hoping for that. But it's, it's, Yeah, that's one know. way to narrow the field. Well, you know, I mean, it's. And what we're saying in between the candidates, not not that anybody should. The system is just. Maybe they'll have the signs itself. on the door like we have all over the state of Wisconsin now that say no guns allowed. Right. I notice that yeah. everywhere I go now. Yeah. Don't. You can't Please, be strapped. Yeah. No guns. Yeah. Hang pat, it at the door. Make sure you pat down your candidates. <laughs> no. And now they have a place to tie up your horses outside, too. It's yeah, really, no kidding. And leave your gun on your horse. Uh-huh. Very convenient. Push somebody's head in the trough, you know, like they do in all the classic Westerns. No, it is interesting that Dean Herman Cain is yeah. ahead yeah. now with his 999 October 2011, he's ahead. I mean, it means... But, of yeah. course, now the primaries are all being reshuffled because, you know, Florida wants to be first and... Mm-hmm. And then they're all kind of, no, no, me, me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want my state to be Well, first. little known thing about the 999 plan. Now, what has been reported a lot is... Doors, apples, and oranges. Yeah, apples and oranges. <laughs> wait, wait, you called it a plan? <clears throat> yeah, it's not so much a plan. It's kind of a whiz. Scheme. Scheme. More like Maybe it's three time. numbers. It doesn't make a lot but of sense. But the thing is, the corporations, to avoid the corporate tax, they'll probably distribute all their stuff through dividends, which then the, the wealthy... Won't have to pay tax on that because Herman Cain gets rid of the capital gains tax. Awesome. So the nine for corporations and the nine for income tax kind of drift to zero. Right. And well, then, yeah. Well, that's hilarious. So it's all sales tax. They used to be at thirty, but they're at zero anyway because they found all the loopholes. They know how to get to zero. It's right. not difficult for a corporation. Yeah. You know, since Reagan put these in place to stop corporate, you know, loopholery. Right. So, so that's <laughs> yeah. been reported. But what you don't hear as much about is the 999 is just, that's phase one. Phase two is simply, I think, 23% national sales tax 
on new items and basically no other taxes. So it's wow. just just sales tax. Screw the poor as much as you can. Let the rich go free kind so of I, thing. I, yeah. I do have to ask wow. you guys, and I found the last month to be really interesting in a really weird way because what the Occupy Wall Street movement is doing mm-hmm. is incredibly similar to what the Tea Party was doing in a Venn diagram-y kind of way. I actually did see a Venn diagram of it, which which had the two <laughs> different parties and the groups of, you know, what they're saying they were upset about when they started the protesting. Mm-hmm. And the Tea Party was upset about big government, you know, destroying, uh, you know, the will of the people. And the Occupy Wall Street group is basically against corporations destroying the will of the people. And where they meet right. in the middle is big corporations buying the government to destroy the will of people the people. People are being destroyed. Right. <laughs> you know, when you get right yeah. down to it, there is overlap there. Yeah. But it's so uh-huh. amazingly divided among the party lines where you see Fox News and far right wing think tanks, think tankery, mm-hmm. getting involved in the Tea Party and then co-opting it and running it. And basically, that's kind of where we've ended up with our Republican candidates who are on stage. You've got these group of people. Yes, yes, libertarians and Ron Paul, who are all talking about <laughs> Tea Party issues. And then in the Occupy Wall Street movement, you're starting to yeah. get the union infiltration. You're starting to get people like, I think I just saw Al Sharpton talking about, you know, the Occupy Wall Street as their group. Right. And he, I support them. And uh, you've got people like Michael Moore and all these Susan Sarandons showing up at Occupy Wall Street supporting their anti-governmental, you know, movement. And and I even found myself more sympathetic to the Occupy Wall Street group because of its weird non-corporate influence than I was yeah. when the Tea Party started. I was actually afeard because I saw right away the corporate influence of the Tea Party, right. and I saw well, it was, it was reactionary created. against the well, the way that they're, they're, Democrat. They're always yeah. portrayed uh, in, the, I mean, the Wall Street protesters and the subsequent protests around the country is that. Well, they, they can't seem to agree on a common theme. It's just sort of all over the place. Well, and neither and could the want... Tea Party. Neither you... could the Tea Party. And also, too, but the thing with the Tea Party is, is no, you tea... know, it's easier when you're reading from a script. Right, yeah, but the, the Tea Party the did tea not party have was a script given... in the beginning. They were given the script. But then they were given the script. And then gonna, they followed you know, the script. Guys, we're going we're gonna to piss off our libertarian listeners. Oh, it's all, too late. All we three have. of them. <laughs> we already have. Yeah. I'll <laughs> oh, fuck them. Please go to iTunes <laughs> and write a wonderful review. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I thought the Republicans were the most co-opted party of the last 10 years. No, it's pretty much the libertarians. But it yeah. is really interesting. And I don't know where the Occupy Wall Street thing is going to go, because without the message and without the co-optation, I don't see a sustained movement there. No. But but the engagement that they're getting from the media is actually more than the Tea Party got. You've got to admit, you know, everyone was talking in the early weeks uh, of the Occupy Wall Street that – Oh, well, there's a media blackout. No one's talking about Occupy Wall Street. Yeah, they were. If you look at the media representation on some of the graphing that I've seen, I think it was on NPR they did a piece on this where you really can see there was a media blackout on the Tea Party movement. Mm -hmm. And they were much more quick to respond when the Occupy Wall Street thing started. Well, the Tea Party was manufactured and Occupy Wall Street is building up organically. Yeah. So I mean, there and is that's a difference. why it looks looser and, and, and so on. But yeah. it is actually very well organized, makes mm-hmm. very good use of current technology and I, I, get the message out. Uh, last Friday, I just sort of walked by the Occupy Madison protest, and it was actually more of a, a meeting than a protest because right. they, they were talking to each other, trying to figure out what their message will be. 
So right. it, it's sort of, it's really in the infancy. So it's building, it's building a message. And the, the message I guess I'd like to see really come out of it is that we need uh, regulated markets, that the free market didn't work and we need to regulate banks right. so they don't like screw everything up and regulate the stock Capitalism market. Capitalism has to be regulated. I mean, like yeah. anything else, yeah. there is a middle ground there. <laughs> and no, it's not going to crush everything. Oh, we're all going to be. You yeah. know, what, yeah. what I thought was hilarious is that, you know, when Obama healthcare bill first came out, they, they kept saying, it's like, oh, you know, grandma's going to be killed by a death panel. And yet, you know, here we have like Ron Paul and there's people cheering about letting this hypothetical person die because they do, you know, if they won't get government aid. But that's not grandma. That's yeah. not grandma. I know. And and yeah, he made like, choices. This well, is, this Ron is what Paul actually, <laughs> one of his campaign workers did die because he didn't have insurance, and Ron right. Paul was okay with that. So it's kind of a yeah, you know, Ron's lack okay. lack Ron's okay with it. Lack of empathy there. I know that we've got a we do have a hardcore group. I think of listeners who write a, they email us quite often about the Ron Paul situation, and and yeah, that's the alluring thing about a character like Ron Paul is he is very sensical. He makes a great deal of sense until yeah. you take him off the deep end where he's disbanding and privatizing. Everything right. from your local library to your fire yeah. department mm-hmm. to your police structure to I don't trust market capitalism to run an equitable society. Well, it, it seems that it's, it's, <laughs> like, it's like our foreign policy. It's either full military occupation or selective assassination, one or two. And you have the same <laughs> thing with what is the future of America? It's absolutely no government or we're going to be Sweden. <laughs> OK, you know. Yeah. But I, I think a good analogy to think about uh, regulating the market is, let me illustrate two bathrooms here. One is an unregulated bathroom, and the other one is a regulated bathroom. Now, the regulated bathroom, that's the kind you're used to. That's where you go to the sink, and you can turn on and off the water. The shower, you can turn it on and off. You can open and close the drain. Mm-hmm. You can flush the toilet. It's all regulated. It's controlled, okay, where that water goes. Now, an unregulated bathroom, that's basically a room with water gushing through it, and you just crap on the floor, or you stand under the water and try to get clean, and, <laughs> and it's, right. it's just one big mess. That would be an unregulated bathroom. And if you'd like to pay extra, yeah. you can get a couple of sheets of toilet paper. It does remind me right, of college. Exactly. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, yeah, actually yeah. does. Yeah. So, so I, I think we'd all say we'd like the regulated bathroom, mm-hmm. and that's the same with the markets. It works better if it's regulated. And it works better. Yeah, for every, every yeah. now and then in a regulated bathroom, there is that fool who drops a duke on the actual. Oh, problems still happen, <laughs> but they're fixable. It's not like a continuous. Uh, oh yeah, well that's the thing. Someone left a chop river of shit in the you urinal. Know? <laughs> yeah, you, you think it's you think you it's think funny? It's funny? <laughs> is there a big spicy chud? <laughs> a, a big fudge dragon? Okay. <laughs> yeah. We here at Tank Ride approve of the regulated bathroom. <laughs> oh, my God. Speaking of which, <laughs> did you see this week's uh, South Park with Lemmy mm-hmm. Winks and No, I had, a ma- I had a massive – I mean, the reason I have a DVR in the first place is so that I can catch these things. Oh, and of my, course. And my sorry. DVR just completely decided to just randomly delete everything I wanted <laughs> so, to watch. And every time I would turn it on, it had more hours available for recording. <laughs> oh, my God. It was randomly deleting everything, and I was like, no, no, stop, hell, what are you doing? And, uh, yeah, and then all of a sudden there was basically nothing, so I I had to get a new one and wow. install a new one and reprogram it. So that was that was my aptitude test. I'm not yet a twelve o'clock flasher. So yeah, yeah. Mm. So I, I've fallen fallen behind in my uh, viewing. 
Although I did, I did manage to catch Kevin Smith's. I am on a downward spiral of depression, and I caught Kevin Smith's Red State. Yeah, have you seen that? Yes, one? Yes, I have. So this movie was absolutely not what I expected. I didn't expect. You know, I had heard it was a strange movie about uh, some religious group, and uh, I thought there was a larger control field of that religious group. But apparently, it was just basically yeah the ATF against a religious organization that was way over the top. And mm-hmm. it reminded me of our episode where we talked about what Ruby is that? Ridge, where we or... talked about Ruby Ridge and the oh, Waco. Yes, uh, yes, yes. Yeah, Waco screw up, as mm-hmm. it were. Yeah, the incident. I thought it was a good movie. I thought mm-hmm. I thought Red State was a really harsh movie mm-hmm. on all angles to everybody. It was really unexpected and dark, but mm-hmm. I I, did, I thought it was very interesting. I, yeah, I did. I did watch it up to the end, thinking this is really engaging. I was just in in the uh, very deep infrared state of Indiana recently. Mm-hmm. What always strikes me when I visit there. Is like you go into a restaurant and people go, oh, what's wrong with that? Uh, is there some sort of issue with it? It's like, no, there's not really an issue. It's just something I'm not really used to seeing is that you, you go to a restaurant and there you know, are people, friends, whatever, meeting for lunch. And when their meal comes, they'll actually stop and someone will, they'll all pray and someone will lead them in prayer. And I mean, I saw, I see this several times or, or families will be having discussions like, see all this, Jesus made all this, you know, and you, I'm just, I'm not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just, okay. Yeah. There is something fucking wrong with it, but, but I'm just not used to seeing it. Right. Right. (laughs) Oh, we're coming into the season now. Pretty Tuesday, the sacred baby festival. Is this the start of the war on Christmas? Are you starting the war on Christmas right now? Yes. I mean, you know, I'll tell you. (laughs) First of all, little baby Jesus in his manger. Winter, yeah, the the part of baby Jesus played by a hidden forty watt bulb. <laughs> the thing, the thing that always bothers me about this time of year, besides the you know soul chilling cold and you know just the depression of never seeing the sun for seven months, is just that you've got a bad economy. People are already in debt, and you know, of course, you know Jesus was born during the four sales quarter. So get out there and spend, spend, mm-hmm. spend. And it, and it's just a little bit earlier every year, and of course we just got to. Th- it's like you know, volunteer your time, work at a food pantry, buy some gifts for other people, and don't exchange for yourself. In other words, fuck them. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if you want to put up a tree, fine. If you don't want to put up a tree, fine. But the whole point is, and no more arguments about mangers on city hall. I mean, that one just depresses <laughs> me every year. You well, know? it's turned into no longer arguing about mangers on uh, city hall. They're talking about. Being able to have an atheist representation amongst all the majors or the City Wiccans, <laughs> there, was, there was actually in it's in Middleton, fun. just outside of Madison, there was a pagan festival recently, and it was it was pretty interesting actually. They <laughs> they had a a big pagan festival, and <laughs> and it looked just like what they do for <laughs> Jesus. On you know, it's amazing. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, well, it's just like God, we're gonna have you know, a big pagan festival where we have a a tree and we light a yule log and my wife and i volunteer time around this time of year we don't exchange ourselves we you know buy presents for family and friends Mm -hmm. and everything but the rest of it is just you know forget just just dial it down you don't have to overspend every damn year sputnik will get you some pennsylvania dutch and we'll do a, (sighs) a, a nice 
Christmas episode right That's at Christmas right. time. This, uh, will you play Star Wars Christmas? <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll play a little Star Wars Christmas. Uh, yeah, we'll exchange My gifts. My ass is puckering already because, yes. again, we always forget about Halloween. One of my favorite holidays. I haven't yes. forgotten. I've been watching Halloween horror films. Oh. No, I, I think people are remembering Halloween. Mm-hmm. I think they should. It seems like it'll be a big year for it's one it. of your just. It's just one of your flat-out fun holidays. I mean, you know, just dress up, get some candy, get loaded. What the hell? We're there. You know, we're there. I think that's all you really have to say about it. But I wanted to point out to you guys this whole Occupy Wall Street thing. I want to get back to it because I think this movement is going to continue. I think it's going to have an effect on the election. And I do think it's incredibly interesting that it's almost like a natural frustration that's built up over time rather than some kind of co-opted frustration that was right away at Obama. And this one is more like, hey, Obama, we're actually frustrated with you. For yeah. not doing what you're supposed to do and giving the banks the bailouts and giving all these corporations the free power to do what they want to do. And it seems like a more natural progression of frustration built up by regular people. And I know that the media is posting this as dirty hippies and a bunch of oh, yeah. pot smoking losers who can do whatever they want. But it's a drum circle. I felt a lot more empathy with this drum circle. And, you know, when you're coming from Madison, Wisconsin, like we are, we're already so highly frustrated with government in Madison that it's incredibly easy to let that spill over and to not forget about these trillion-dollar bailouts of companies that are so big they can't fail that it's so right to be angry that I Mm -hmm. think this whole idea that 99% of the people should be angry, you know, maybe they're not all angry because some of them watch too much Fox News or whatever, Mm -hmm. but I think most people should be angry at the way that corporations are controlling the government to a level and to a degree by lobbying and by paying for politicians. And and this comes right down to Scott Walker in this, this recall, which should start November 15th or so. Mm-hmm. He's going to have unlimited funding. Yeah. Because it's a special yeah. recall and because he's Walker, he can get as much money as he possibly right. wants from the Koch brothers it's, to yeah. fund his uh, Depends recall. Depends how much the Koch brothers want to spend on him. Oh, and you know that, I mean, just the yeah. interest of what they make there in a day. There will be some transparency to this and it will be incredibly flamingly obvious to even the most dense observer that this is a corruption of the democratic yeah. process. I wouldn't go that far, Victor, but I know what you're saying. <laughs> My hope, and I don't think it's going to happen... Is that the Koch brothers realize this is a losing battle and just give them nothing? Right, but that's well, possibility too. I, think, I don't see that though. I think they're gonna they're gonna give them hundreds of millions of I dollars. I see it as ground zero. Just, it's between yeah. us and I think Michigan, and there's some other places where they've got the fingers in, and they don't want to lose those uh, mm-hmm. bastions of incredible corporate gains. We've, they've made a lot of corporate gains here, and the public is lost and. You know, we're starting to lose all kinds of things, not just, you know, the employment rate hasn't gone up. The employment rate's gone down. Yeah. We've gone from nine, 7.3 to 7.9 mm-hmm. uh, yeah, percent they're losing unemployment. jobs right so, and left. Yeah. This whole idea that and this trickle down, oh, you got to give the job creators money so they'll create the job jobs. Creators. That, they I'm don't so create sick of that. jobs. And they now the Republicans, the, their big thing now that that we really need a lot of jobs, what they're working on now is they're getting straight in your pants. Yeah, they're, they're, they they want to de-emphasize teaching about contraceptives and sex education. They want to make it harder to get an abortion. They're suggesting that you know the teenagers practice abstinence, but oh yeah, that works. Yeah, you get. I mean, that's <laughs> well, it's, it's very proven. Club. It doesn't. 
it works really well. <laughs> but, you know, in yeah. general. <laughs> That's more force, though. <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. But, no, yeah. you're, you're you right. You just, we want a big, we want a, a big, stupid workforce. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah actually, with no look, vacation and no back, choices and no options no, and a high not. unemployment rate to make them accept the jobs that they'll accept. Tor, I'm so sorry I interrupted you. Go. Yeah, uh, well, it's just, you know, really uh, thinking back to the high school days, abstinence, that's something that happened uh, not out of choice, just because that's what yeah. kind of happened. You couldn't, yeah. Nobody I mean, volunteered to be could, abstinent. If you can make the hookup happen, it's going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, yeah, just more so, I'm I'm just saying that I've I've actually very faithfully watched these Republican debates. You can't see my huge air quoting, but... It's probably the worst, the seediest reality show that's on TV right now. So forget X Factor, forget Whisker Wars. <laughs> although Whisker Wars is awesome, uh, this one really takes the cake. And it's if, if you can just clear your mind of the fact that these people actually are applying for the highest office in the land, it is highly entertaining just mm-hmm. from the pure drivel that comes out of it. Now, who's going to come out of this pack? I have no goddamn idea, but. Yeah. On, on either side. And the Democrats really have it extremely easy with these Tea Party freaks because, well, take Mitt Romney. He looks like a runnable candidate in 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 2012, even though he looked completely tedious and ridiculous in 2008. But by comparison, he looks presidential. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. so the Democrats, they they don't really listen to the left. They don't represent the left. No, in any and they're way, not going to anyway. And, you know, you look at the last three years, they don't represent the left. No. I totally I don't want anyone walking away from this thinking, oh, those guys are just a bunch yeah. of uh, Democrat. No, I am highly, completely no, frustrated no. with Obama right. and with the Democrats and this whole this whole idea that you're voting for the lesser of two evils makes me want to join the protesters and go out on the street. Exactly. And say, Fuck that. I don't want to have to support the lowest common denominator. I'm sick of the lowest common denominator. I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. (laughs) I know. I know what you mean. I don't want to vote for a fucking Democrat just because he's not a Republican. That is bullshit. You know, this is the the protest (laughs) to me really frustrating are are the most original political movement I've seen in this country in years and years and years. It's unscripted. They're not playing for the cameras. They're not playing for a particular special interest. They're not a tea party. They're a verb. Yeah. I mean, Occupy Wall Street. Right. It's a very interesting concept, and it makes it almost yeah. hard to predict where this can go. So, yeah. we. I actually wish them the greatest of luck, and I've seen some too. of the things they've said as their individual group manifestos saying, you know, we want this, that, and the other thing. And mm-hmm. it's usually all about corporations to pay more the wealthy to actually pay their taxes, mm-hmm. corporations to be held accountable for the things they do, and CEOs to be held accountable for the things. They're, these are really reasonable expectations. I just wanted to mention, too, that uh, one of my favorite political cartoon strips is This Modern World by Tom Tomorrow. And uh, he had one this week in the Isthmus that I thought was just fantastic because he has a superhero called uh, In- Invisible Hand of the Market Man. <laughs> and, oh, God, it was just brilliant where, you know, all these Wall Street people were saying, like, oh, I'm so hurt by what they're saying. It's not like we don't have feelings, too. What should we do, Mr. Invisible <laughs> Hand of the Market Man? <laughs> Did you see the Onion article uh, for today? It was uh, media demands to know what protesters want before they start ignoring them. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> That's probably why the media isn't really ignoring them, is they're still trying to figure out what, what there is to ignore. Oh, yeah. God. And you know you know who's been the mediator for a lot of these debates has been like Anderson Pooper, who mm. I've, I've lost any respect I've ever had yeah. for. There's times I That's sort of, like a pay uh, job. That's like being in a cover band. That's like yeah. making the money on the road just because. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're not really doing Thank anything. Thank you, Mr. Pooper. Mm-hmm. I think he's a nice guy. Good sense of humor. Hey, yeah, well, you know, one thing with the, the presidential uh, race, uh, you know, it looks like w- without the Looney Tunes running f- f- on the Republican side, you know, Obama should have an easy time of it. However, a bunch of states are changing their electoral vote rules mm-hmm. to uh, distribute it by congressional district. So a lot of states that may, may have gone 100 percent Obama before will now be like 46 percent Republican, 54 percent Democrat. It changes the whole electoral math, which makes it more likely that a Republican could get in. I call shenanigans. Be- no, because, because they've been they're... doing this for yeah. years on both sides. Whenever, whenever either party gets a little bit of control, you know, th- there's usually times to redistrict and be able to reassign your maps. Well, and... this is more than redistricting. This is, uh, I, I don't think any states have really gone proportional before in, in recent history. And of course, it's just the blue states that the Republicans are pushing this in. The red states, they'll still have those, you know, flip, yeah. flip 100% red. Sure. So, you know, they're doing every angle they can to try to cheat their way into power. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, they're they're so blatant about it. It's like you were talking about, you know, uh, Walker finding a loophole. So these this money is gifted, mm-hmm. you know, it, because, of course, you know, money is speech and and yeah. we, we've got to do this. We will keep you updated on that. But I think, gentlemen, we should move on to Al Einstein. Before we do that, though, I do want to mention, oh. I know, you know, we, we, we're not about memorializing or whatever, but I was saddened to hear that Steve Jobs died in between our last podcast. And mm-hmm. now, I mean, oh yeah, too early for a guy like that who was a crazy individual, really, really rugged and rough person uh, to be around. And I only know this from stories, but... Just just what an innovator and what a great guy. And I am an Apple fanboy. I do love their products. Mm-hmm. And to lose someone in his 50s who has contributed so much. I mean, I remember learning computers on an Apple. Yes, sure. I had a TRS-80. I knew someone wow. with a Commodore 64. But I really got my feet wet on an Apple IIe. And, yeah. you know, I had a 2C. Yeah, the GS yeah. then after that. Yeah. I mean, yep. these were these were computers that were made that you could open the top of mm. and look at what was going on inside. True and enough. Figure it out. And they came with 64K. Yeah. <laughs> you, had, you had just... <laughs> yeah. You could make a screensaver of a line. You know, you could do the programming. Segway, um, <laughs> I guess we're doing tank ride obits. Um, I don't know if you saw the news, but uh, they got Gaddafi. Yeah. Oh, they, yeah. Is he dead? They're posting yeah. the pictures, and it looks a lot like those old grainy pictures, like when they caught Mussolini. <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's not pretty. It, it's pretty gross. Yeah. <laughs> I was watching that as the, with the kids in the room, like, yeah, well, okay, uh, is, but, I haven't uh, seen that. Yeah. Yeah. You kind well, of look like a. You know, I look at it, it's like okay, on one, one douchebag down, how many to go? You know? Yeah. Whatever. All right. Interesting. Yep. Put down the tally mark. Um, <laughs> one more butt first. Go. Uh, just so you know, there is a stockholder revolt of the News Corp stockholders against the Murdoch family. Oh. And uh, so some of the some of the stockholders are going to try to vote the Murdochs out of the uh, the board of directors. That would be awesome. And take over the company. This will be an uphill battle because I think the Murdochs own about forty percent of the company. Mm-hmm. 
So it's going to be pretty difficult, but it's it's nice to see someone trying to do that not impossible. and set the company straight. So yeah. well, that'd that's be cool. Inter- it'd be interesting because they could uh, have less clout moving forward, even if they wanted to go in the same direction of quote unquote news. Like even yeah. if they have the same goals, yeah, um, it would have less if it, if it weren't backed by the Murdoch family, right? Less momentum. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. So. Yeah, it's hard to know who would then replace the Murdochs, but... Hopefully hope someone it, less hateful. Yeah, someone just a little more rational. <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, yeah. Anyways. Because, you know, this craziness of the, the recent stuff, you know, it's not making the company money. No. <laughs> yeah, they're, no, lo- they're losing money. They had to shut down a paper, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so what about this Al Einstein? Yeah. M- Life Magazine's Man of the Century. Frankly... Albert Einstein is one of those rare scientific individuals that has become a household word. Uh, in fact, it's a unit of measurement. It's like, hey, Bill's a nice guy, but he's no Einstein. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> what was he born? Einstein. Yeah, way to go. <laughs> he was born in 1876, I think? 1879. 79, yeah. 1879. Yeah. Ten years before yeah. Hitler. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, and some of you may only know of him as... Uh, Same region, very different impacts. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Mainly know of him as uh, that poster and that that guy had next door that was the physics major. So. Right? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people had the the uh, Albert Einstein. If you are in college poster. right now, look at your wall. Yeah, if you have Albert Einstein. I'm glad you're listening. That's yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> with, especially with his tongue out. That's one of my favorite pictures. Yeah, yeah. He's sticking, yeah. His he's sticking his tongue out. Well, Albert Einstein is is interesting on a lot of different levels. I mean, obviously, he had a lot of you know numerous scientific achievements. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, also interesting too that his remains have become kind of a, a piece of folklore. Uh, Einstein's brain was stolen from the autopsy table uh, when he died in 1955. Really? Yes, it was. And w- what's interesting about that is I know we're we're skipping way ahead. We're not really even talking about the man's life. Hey, we're how about we go to the mailbag? Where his brain is gone. <laughs> yeah. But one, but one thing Einstein, Einstein taught us is is time is uh, you know it is really it's pl- pliable. It's flexible. Nine-ish. Yeah. So first of all, it was kind of interesting to me that they actually had an autopsy performed because you know I mean the man was older and he'd been in ill health for uh, quite a while and. You know, autopsies are usually if you're not totally certain of the cause yeah, of death. Right. And and mm-hmm. uh, in any case, this person who was performing the autopsy stole his brain, took his brain wow. and decided to study it. Well, and then his re- his remains were cremated, mm-hmm. uh, which was his wish. They obviously didn't make him go through the training about proper <laughs> ethics. No, no. <laughs> in biological research. Kind of skip that. Well, obviously, you know, he he was in a lot of trouble and because you really just don't do that sort of thing, even in 1955. Oh, you do. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, one of the members of the Einstein family said, look, if you want to preserve his brain and study it, fine. So that actually released him from any legal difficulties. And, you know, neuroscience was really in its infancy at that time and study of the brain. So he essentially just, like, on his kitchen table, dissected the brain and then found a way to, you know, preserve it, like, you know, mortuary science. He found a way to preserve it in this in this fluid and uh, just kind of traveled around with it for the rest of his life. 
Um, oh. it, he became obsessed with trying to find out more and more what the key to genius was. Uh, he lost his, his wife and family left him and the guy lost his job. He was just like going from, you know, mediocre job to mediocre job, but the brain did go to, you know, was preserved and, you know, people have been able to study it. And largely what they found was is that, yeah, it was, you know, more or less a normal brain, there was I I don't have um unfortunately the the exact information in front of me but what they did find was that there was uh, an area of the brain or these type of receptors mm-hmm. that uh they think are very highly tied to visualization which mm-hmm. when you stop to think of all the things that he did with the tools that he had uh which we'll get to right and this is this is actually kind of a good lead into that mm-hmm. yeah it's really amazing i mean this is before he did the bulk of this work in 1905. Right. So he didn't have a Macintosh. He did not have no. a Macintosh. He had nothing. And mm. But he was able to visualize and do these visual experiments and then be able to explain that both mathematically and visually to people. Right. And what did the autopsy and, say about that part of his brain? That it was enhanced? That, 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 that he had more of – and I'm sorry, I don't mm. have the exact oh, information okay. in front of me, but what – was different about the brain that they've mm-hmm. seen so far is that that area of the brain or the type of tissue or receptors mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. neurochemicals, whatever he has in abundance, much more than people normally right. have, which they associate with visualization. I mean, what I'm yeah. saying is like thought experiments, visualizing right, right, yeah. things right. mentally. Right. Right. And, yeah. and he did a lot of his work by simply staring out the window mm-hmm. just right. and thinking and, you mm-hmm. know, that one episode of the Big Bang Theory where Raj and uh, Sheldon. Sheldon. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's get to work. Dun, dun, yeah. dun, dun, dun. Playing Survivor in the background. And then they're just standing there, like staring off into the distance thinking. But, you know, that's what physicists do. Yes, that's exactly what they do. Yeah. So Albert Einstein was born, as we said, in 1879 in uh, Germany. Uh, Germany at this time was a variety of different... Uh, Oh, you know, kingdoms and sort of sub-states. And I mean, it was unified, but not much. Right. One of the things that I've always found interesting about Albert Einstein, and I mean, this is, it's like mm-hmm. his whole life is kind of interesting in one way or the oh, other. But just the one thing that I always thought was in, was intriguing was he actually gave up his German citizenship twice in his life. Once when he went to Switzerland, and then once, of course, when he emigrated to the United States. Now, the first time yep. he did it in, in Switzerland... It was to escape German military service. Military service. However, he probably would have been deferred because he oh, had yeah. this really bad foot problem. They were yes. really, really smelly, and he really, really sweated a lot, <laughs> which was exacerbated by the fact that the man never wore socks. Uh, like well, ever, and right? Let's, let's he's remember. like the opposite of Jerry no, Lewis. Exactly, the op- he's the anti-Jerry <laughs> yeah. Lewis. If, uh-huh. if we get up to the Nazi World War II, I mean, he was Jewish. So, yeah, as you go even forward to that time, he really, yeah, had some problems as far as serving the military. <laughs> oh, yeah, but yeah, World War One. Einstein was yeah. was you know one of these people that definitely saw that. Okay, this is not just. Something that's, you know, some street thugs that are going back and forth. Mm -hmm. He's the chancellor of Germany now. Time to leave. What was interesting about that, though, is that by this time in his life, Einstein was doing a lot of traveling. But let's just back back up a little bit. Let's slow down. Like when he was a kid, Mm -hmm. there's all this rumor. You know, Einstein is his own guy. Einstein Mm -hmm. is 
an underdog. Einstein's one of those guys who, much like you know, I'm not saying we're geniuses, but much like us, they he does his thing <laughs> his own way. And mm-hmm. I, I just always root for the underdog, and uh, I always saw him as an underdog throughout his youth because he was always nailed as a autistic person. And I know the autistic community always really wanted to claim Einstein as right. yeah. an autist. And I think the ADHD community yeah, is claiming him too. Definitely, definitely. Right. Temple Grandin herself, who we talked about in our episode on Errol Morris, who's a really great autistic woman who helped design mm-hmm. the the basis of all modern cow murder, <laughs> basically. Uh. She's a really wonderful person. And I think that she's... A really brilliant person, and I really loved learning about her. But she wrote about Einstein and, and was trying to claim him as autistic because of the fact that he didn't wear socks. That was a, getting around to this kind of thing, the right. idea that he would wear green shoes and no socks and obviously, you know, unkempt hair. And he, he didn't yeah. care about social conventions in the way that a lot of people do. But you know right. what? A lot of people don't care about social conventions right. that way. I'm saying a lot of people that I know, <laughs> and I put myself in this group, just don't have the time or willingness to care about certain aspects of it doesn't matter grooming, yeah. ironing, that kind of thing. You know, we're just right. A lot of people yeah. aren't like that, and, and especially back then, it was so regimented, right? And and so he that, really right. stuck out. Yeah, he, he, he didn't did comb his out. hair, and mm-hmm. he was always really unkempt. And and that being really unkempt does not make you autistic. I, I just, no, no. I think right. these are large leaps of logic that were made. And there's this, there's a saying where his aunt had said, well, he never talks around the time he was three or so. Mm-hmm. And that became the Einstein never spoke until he was three years old. Right. Not true. I mean, this is just yeah. not true. It's just not documented really well what mm-hmm. he did. But there are things written about the fact that he would have been speaking because there's no way he could have communicated with right. his mother the things he communicated without speaking. So these are stretches, leaps of logic and falsehoods that just became attributed to him, you know, over time in legend, because the guy is a legend. Or that he wasn't good at math. Right. That, you know, he failed the, this, this entrance exam, which actually has no bearing, which we'll get to later. But <laughs> right. yeah. it, it had nothing to do with like, oh, he didn't really know math. But like, the, well, the, yeah. the myth that he wasn't good in college or wasn't good in school, like grade school on that, mm-hmm. is not, not exactly true either. The classes he applied himself in that interest him, right. he did extremely right. well which in. Which you find with many advanced children. Right. Is that and, they're not motivated, so they just... Extended to kind of the stuff that bored him or didn't interest him, but he didn't even really try. So, yeah, the grades weren't so great there. What I thought it was interesting was that Einstein, throughout his life, based on his early educational experiences, spoke a lot about the quality of education and how absolutely important, very key that it is. Because he grew up at a time when everything was rote memorization, and this is how you're going to learn he it. He didn't like that way. You don't ask questions, this is it. Mm-hmm. And we move on. Mm-hmm. And he was always really tired of that. <laughs> and and always, and, uh, I mean, Einstein wrote over 300 scientific papers, but also over 150 non-scientific papers and articles and books and so forth, which were are very interesting. In fact, I had a chance to read this one, this book about Albert Einstein, which kind of captured a lot of his... Uh, non-scientific writings, more of his social and political uh, leanings and so forth, which we'll get to later on, because even though Albert Einstein is is seen as this, uh, well, 
Einstein is is a German scientist, but he's an adopted American, and and we like to think of him as an American. However, when he was here in America, he was investigated and had a file that by mm-hmm. the FBI and was considered a dupe well, of the communists. Yeah. And we'll we'll get there when we get there. <laughs> I, I know we're jumping back and forth a lot on this, but you know when the yeah. Jewish state when Israel was started, mm-hmm. he was approached to be the president, basically. Yes. So I mean. This was a guy whose roots haunted him along the way, mm-hmm. and and yeah. even up to that point was like, well, no, <laughs> yeah, I'm a scientist. This is what I do. But he was also a great pacifist, and he was very anti-war. Mm-hmm. And the, I mean, mm-hmm. one of my favorite quotes from Einstein always is the idea that you cannot always, you cannot simultaneously prepare for and prevent war. That was right. one of the ones that always stuck with me. But he's got plenty of others that he's the militant pacifist and yes he was he didn't like getting involved in politics and he had a he had a special place for politics which was not his main focus and not what he was no best at but when he was growing up he was he had a core group of friends that he would mm-hmm. hang out with and they would talk with and there you know when he eventually went to college he hung out with that group the, the different olympian academy that he was right uh doing thought experiments with talking with mm-hmm. it was uh uh-huh. basically Four guys in a cafeteria sitting around. One of them was named Sheldon, I think. <laughs> yeah. Einstein was known as a great conversationalist. He he yeah. loved conversation. He loved debate. He it was loved... kind of like a Seinfeld episode, but with a really smart guy. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> One thing that really struck me, though, was his dad was running uh, this DC power thing. And that's what immediately yes. made yes. me kind of laugh is that... Here yes. was Einstein on Here's the our tie opposite back side <laughs> of Nikola Tesla. <laughs> So, uh-huh. what well, his dad was. Can, yeah, yeah, right, yeah. right. Can you imagine so, if Thomas Edison had defeated Tesla in the War of the Currents and and made DC power in effect? Well, then yeah. Einstein's dad would have maintained his factory. Yeah, he would have. Yeah, yeah been very well off. He would have been well off. Albert probably would have never. Yeah, he's probably right. might have gone into DC power. <laughs> right. <laughs> That's exactly. Right. But actually, electrical power and technology figures very heavily into how he began to write. Yeah, because that was his playground. He was exposed to all these dynamos and electricity and, and all this. Business, and, and probably the maybe most important in, event that everybody talks about is Einstein's dad gave him a compass. Right. And it just fascinated Einstein because he's like, what's making the needle move? Mm-hmm. So he would just stare at that thing for hours trying to figure out the force that's moving the needle. Or when he was 10 years old, a family friend gave him uh, a copy of Kant's uh, Critique of Pure Reason mm. and uh, Euclid's Geometry, you know, which I think, it, you know, so he was already reading these types yeah. of books and just yeah. know, burning them into his head. That's amazing. And when me. he became a patent clerk, what the what the office patented was electrical devices, mm-hmm. electrical yeah. But, but the plans. whole the whole reason he ended up as a patent clerk. I mean, it, well, we, you have to go back because of his romantic entanglements and what. And that's an interesting aspect yeah. of Einstein's life because if when you read his his non scientific articles, mm-hmm. he's an extremely progressive individual. Has been you know his whole life. The the one thing, of course, he. Well, you know, again, I'll be jumping ahead of things, but um, <laughs> it's time dilation, people. We just it is time dilation. We cannot help it. We already because, started with his death, so here because we go. I, I know, I know that it it always seems like a huge conflict, and it was something that troubled Einstein to his death. 
was that, you know, what you can say he was this lifelong, very strict pacifist. But then why did he write this letter to FDR saying we really need to look into an atomic weapon? Yeah. You know, and or at least do more research along these lines. And that was one of the things that he had regretted his entire life. And he said, well, I guess given the circumstances with, you know, the Nazis and everything else, you could. But on the other hand, you know, he lived long enough to have certainly seen Japan bombed in the you know, beginning in the heating up of the Cold, Cold War. War. So clearly this very much troubled him. But I, I would say he was a lifelong pacifist. He definitely believed in a planetary government, a one-world government, which I know just mm-hmm. frightens hordes of people. But, I mean, I guess as a kid, yeah. I always kind of thought that was the direction we were going to go to as well. But TOS. I'm such yeah. an ass. Uh-huh. Yeah, TOS. Okay, I know. Federation you're right. You're right. Yeah. The Federation. But that it's highly United influenced Federation of Planets. I kind of uh-huh. thought, okay, that's cool. We're just one in a bunch, you know, or Star Wars, you yeah. know, the, the, the council. We get our vote, I know, but you then, know? you know, you couldn't make money off of currency converters. You yeah, know? that's true. How much is a lira? Yeah. God only knows. <laughs> yeah, we don't know now. <laughs> yeah. But one of the things that, that I think you can say about Einstein that would definitely go into the douchery category is that though he was extremely progressive in his politics and his social views on education and, and, and so forth, mm-hmm. he was in general and personally not very kind to women. Yeah, he wasn't much of a family man. He no. pretty much failed in that area. He was married twice in his life, um, the second time to a cousin, and both marriages were punctuated with yeah. know, pretty long bouts of a, adultery and separation. And, and in general, he did not seem to have a very great view of women. Well, you know, it, and maybe... And I'm not sure if... If it's uh, his view of women, or the or the fact that he's not a monogamist, he doesn't see himself with just one. You know what? I, I guess that's probably true. And and, but... and and he's completely distracted by the world of physics as well. Mm-hmm. Just we should maybe cover the little history of his social life. Uh, mm-hmm. w- when he went to college in Switzerland, he met Maleva. Maleva Marie. Yep. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that uh, who became his first wife. What was interesting about her is she was the only female in the uh, physics uh, program there. So they, you know, hit it off and they were able to talk about physics and they, they actually talk shop. Mm-hmm. And uh, she helped him with, uh, as he bounced, he would bounce his ideas off of her. And so they had a really, uh, at the beginning, a healthy relationship. Yeah, you know, she was but, kind of a sounding board for Einstein. And there's yeah. been some investigation into the papers and into right. his handwritten notes and Quite honestly, I got to tell you, as a conspiracy theorist or as someone who would love alternate history, it'd be a fantastic and awesome story to have her be the genius who could only get things published through him being a right. man in the world yeah. in 1905 yeah, and, yeah. And, and having her basically feed him all the ideas. It would be funny. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I just would yeah. love the idea of it. But it, it appears... There's no evidence for that, There's really. no evidence of that. But she was a sounding board and she was interested and she was involved and she really wanted to be in physics and eventually basically failed out and couldn't stay, you know, in the college. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So but, they they originally had a daughter and I'm probably gonna butcher this. Lucero. Yeah. Lucero. But I gotta out say of wedlock. no one knew about this for the longest time. This this came out very there were some uncovered memoirs. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And 
I, I think what 10 years ago, no one would have known about this at all. Yeah. But but this was where the hard choices had to be made that I think really ruined the relationship between Einstein and yeah. And, her. and well, you see, the problem was at this time he was trying to get the job as a patent clerk. And at that time, the way the social structure was, if you have an illegitimate child, that reflected poorly on him, and he right. would not have gotten the job. He would have had to, you know, take a ditch digging job or something. And this was in 1902, so more than likely yeah. she was given up for adoption, but she really just disappears. Disappeared. From history. That's yeah. amazing. And you know, I mean, yeah. that, that's a great idea for a novel, right? There would be like Einstein's right there. daughter, you Einstein's know, daughter. and he just did all these yeah. things, and yeah. nobody knew it was Einstein's. Daughter. Yeah, but it, it ruined the, him. It really ruined him to to be so. I, there, I, I think I read one of the letters that he had written that just broke his heart, how in love with her he was already, the newborn baby yeah. that he was never going to meet. And yeah, I mean, that's didn't even meet her. brutal. That's mm-hmm. just yeah. brutal and a sign of the and times. That, yeah, and that's a good indication of how a kind of a regressive society, society like that that's not open <laughs> right. to, you know, okay, yeah, not every kid comes out of a, a married couple, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and he had to keep it secret. Get over it. Ugh. Um, well, and, and the reason that he was he was wanted to be a patent, we didn't really want to be a patent clerk, but it was just, you know, he had tried for various teaching jobs and obviously to finish out his own degrees. And oh, he, his, he wanted his, to support his family. That his he knew dad was, was writing you know, him letters and trying to get him hired anywhere to get him mm-hmm. yeah. some professorship somewhere. So his dad, his dad basically died on him. I forget the year that his dad died, but basically died thinking Einstein was a failure. Right. Thinking that he was not going to become anything. Right. Which is another blow to Einstein that, well, you know, I can't even help my family right. in their time of need. And yeah, it was rough. Mm-hmm. They did eventually have two sons, uh, Hans Einstein and um, Edward. They were uh, born about six years apart. Yeah. Hans went on to have, a, I think, a fairly decent engineering career. Yeah. And he also moved to the United States like, Albert Edward, or uh, is that how you say his name? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, uh, Edward. <laughs> yeah, he was diagnosed with schizophrenia and yeah. spent some time in institutions. And I believe Hans uh, later thought that you know his electroshock therapy and the other things that they did to him in the institution that essentially made him worse. I think Rocky uh, Erickson could agree with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Electroshock so, back then too was a horrible thing. Ed, Edward uh, I said some harsh things about his father. I don't think appreciated how things gone, which mm-hmm. we should add. Uh, eventually, Maleva and Albert got a divorce, you know, all kinds of it things. Didn't work. That, they, they had been yeah. separated for quite some time, but then also, yeah. too. Well, um, they, yeah, they didn't live together for like five years. And yeah. yeah. He, was, he was working. And this was like in 1919, which jumps far beyond some of the accomplishments that he'd made before that time but you know following yeah. the personal life yeah 1919 february is when they finally divorced but mm-hmm. 1905 is when albert einstein really made the year his of miracles critical yeah. jump in yeah. yeah uh physics and and this is physics is not a mathematical certainty it is a quest for knowledge that requires some creativity mm-hmm. in thinking and so this because what einstein does in 1905 you end up mm-hmm. with what we now know as classical physics and modern physics. Right. And it's not that classical physics is wrong. It's just that there was a leap made in understanding light, electricity, and magnetism 
around the area of Einstein, not purely Einstein's, you know, doing, but it it turned into these things are basic classical physics. This is what we know, and these are the things that work on a classical plane. And then now, yep. these are the things that we can now understand in modern physics as new and entangled ideas that are oh, yeah. almost separatable from classical physics. They're they're kind of like yeah. a, there's a duality there, and well, it all really hit its. It's, it's definitely a arc. watershed moment. Yeah. I mean, yeah, because Newtonian classic mechanical physics does not explain a lot of the phenomenon that people were you know well, finding right. more and more well, yeah that's this way, n- n- classical physics can explain that the motion of a baseball in a baseball game right fairly well but you need modern physics to understand uh you know the motions and the forces in galaxies and right. and Ooh. uh and or even go atomic t- t- tiny in the, in the atomic level so in 1905 was was his breakthrough year. It's, it's often called the miracle year. Right. And Einstein himself would have looked at 1905 as a brutal, brutal year mm-hmm. of some yeah. thought breakthroughs and a lot of waiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I mean, he, he, a harsh, harsh year he, he of wrote not these, getting acknowledgement. He wrote these papers and, you know, it's taken a while for the leading physicists in mm-hmm. the world for this stuff to sink in. Well, you know, d- yeah. no- nothing better illustrates that than the fact that he didn't win the Nobel Prize until 1921, though relativity was still controversial. Mm-hmm. Right. Meaning, we don't yeah. get it, Al. Yeah. So they gave it to him for like his work on the photoelectric effect. But not really right, right. relativity, special yeah. or general. Well, and this we're was, pretty sure you're smart, but we're not yeah. sure about we this one. We don't get it, Al. But but yeah. this shows this, it does show his confidence because I think it was it was a part of the settlement that he basically told Malavi. He said, "When I win the Nobel Prize, I will give you the money mm-hmm. for your family, for our family." Right, and yeah. that was like just divorce me, and I'll give you that. Mm-hmm. And that confidence that he was going to win the Nobel Prize. Really comes through, and it's amazing that yeah. that that deal and, would be you know. And made. Maleva was good at math too, <laughs> and and she knew it wasn't you know a hundred percent chance that he'd get the Nobel Prize, mm-hmm. but she figured out the odds and figured out it was a pretty good chance. So yeah, she went she went with that settlement. But but his thought experiments and his his miracle year, the nineteen oh five papers that he wrote were really focused on relativity, and there was Newtonian relativity. But what he was doing was trying to examine, and, and this goes back to the whole compass thing and the idea of the invisible hand of the market or compass. Yeah. Yeah, that actually <laughs> There's nothing things. going on in the ether. <laughs> yeah, it's in the ethers. And it just, yeah. God, it makes me laugh so hard. But it's true that, you know, they had no other ideas than that. I mean, the idea what? that we thought there was the ethers. It's kind of like dark matter, though. you got to admit. I've got to admit, we come back to the ethers because we're still talking about things, not just like dark matter, but I mean, look at the Higgs boson, the Large Hadron Collider. True. The Higgs, true. Yeah. you know, particles supposed to be the, the piece that suspends the universe on a thread and controls gravity. I mean, I'm, I'm dying to find out about what they find. Oh, sure. But I'm certainly not wed to the idea oh, that no. that particle exists. Yeah, so, it may turn out Oh, it's no, just it's, it's another something ether. else. <laughs> yeah, it's just another. But but the whole yeah. idea of the ether was that the universe was tied together. Sound moves through water and creates waves. It runs through a medium, and that light itself must run itself through a medium, and that medium must be the ether. Right. And so, up in classical physics, this ether uh, idea had been pushed and pushed and pushed. And so, 
the classical context of physics said there's an ether that light runs through. It is the medium. We just don't understand it. We can't see it. And right. all science was pushing towards it. And when mm -hmm. Einstein arrived at the case and a couple other people like Maxwell were starting to put together, you know, electromagnetism and some of these other things. And Nels Bohr. Yeah, in the mm -hmm. 1860s and, and so on, uh, Einstein showed up and said, nope, ethers doesn't exist. Light is basically a constant and it creates a he had the special theory of relativity and then the general theory of relativity but mm -hmm. the whole idea was mm -hmm. light itself is a constant based on mass uh based on mass and the energy yeah. release and it actually is something i mean not... what i found the most intriguing though was that einstein spent the rest of his life really after 1905 grappling with all of the implications of these theories Quantum mechanics, atomic theory, all yeah. these things mm -hmm. came out of it. And right. uh, some of the, 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 the Nels Bohr-Albert Einstein debates. Now, they, they weren't truly, they debates, weren't truly debates, but, but they were essentially the, the two men approaching the same uh, whole new breakthroughs, whole new areas of science and ways of looking at the universe and dealing with it in a very different way. So, for instance, like, you know, the very famous quotation that is always ascribed to Einstein, that God does not play dice with the universe, mm -hmm. that, you know, dealt with the whole idea of uncertainty, of not knowing where a particle is or how it's necessarily behaving at any given point in space mm -hmm. and time. Mm -hmm. You can't really... Well, yeah, mm -hmm. the, it's the idea that all rel all motion is relative. And mm -hmm. it's all, I mean, relativism is a hard concept to grasp because mm -hmm. you are stationary to yourself, but... You know, conduct the same science experiment moving on a spaceship, moving, you know, you're on the heart of gold going a thousand miles a second that right. way, then you're going to have mean, the same results it. relativistically. No, I'm sure some of our listeners are, are probably very good. Tor is actually very good with the mathematics, but honestly, I think most of our. M O O N, that's both math. math. Moon. <laughs> most of us, I think, probably deal with physics in not through the equations, but those very same thought experiments. You're on a train. The train is moving at the speed of light. Uh -huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you think about it. It's so exciting. It's so mind-bending. We it talked is. about it in our time travel episode that the idea of time travel being an absolute possibility and the fact that if you and your twin, you get on the jet and you rocket ship and you fly away mm -hmm. for, you know, yeah. <laughs> 10 years and fly back for 10 years and 20 years has passed for you and 40 has passed for your twin, depending right. on the speed relative to yeah. the speed of light. Mm -hmm. The faster you go, the slower the time goes for you. The more for mass you, you accumulate, the more time is And I think they actually measured this on the trips to the moon. Well, the, they the measured clocks. this by putting clocks in, in jets circling the Earth. And it yeah. comes down to nanoseconds at that slow, slow speed. But the idea it's is measurable. Right. truly measurable and truly able, depending on what speeds you're able to achieve, now, it is time travel. One of the biggest events uh, with uh, Einstein's general theory of relativity is, uh, okay, it's just a theory, but, but how do we verify that his math is correct? <laughs> so the, the, there's a huge story with this. I love it. And maybe you guys can help me out. But I have my favorite character in the story. Okay. <laughs> but the... Uh, the idea was that a part of this theory is that, I don't know, gravity. Mass, yeah, gravity. Ma mass can actually bend space or something like that. It bends the light. Yeah. I don't have a good handle on this yet. <laughs> but anyway, things bend, which means uh, light can actually be, be bent around an uh, object of large mass. 
so, but how would you possibly measure this? Well, Einstein figured out if you have a solar eclipse, you know, normally with the sun so bright, you can never see a star that's right next to it. Right. But if you have a solar eclipse, that'll black it out, and you should be able to see a star that's light has been bent around the sun mm-hmm. that normally would have been hidden behind the sun had the light not been bent. But the, idea, so to do this, you got to photograph a solar eclipse and then measure the stars. Right, and and the only time you could really do that would be getting the right camera in the right location on the Earth to catch that solar eclipse at the right time. At the right time to <laughs> film that, which happened in 1919. But but but, but. <laughs> yeah, there is a character who's my favorite, which is Edwin Finlay Freundlich. Yes, in 1914. <laughs> okay, he, he I was wondering if you heard about him. Oh, yes. You, <laughs> you go. You have to. Uh, so he, Freundlich is going to uh, try to help help prove Einstein's theory. And uh, Campbell from the United States mm-hmm. goes along with him. And they uh, at this in 1914, there's going to be a total solar eclipse from oh. uh, essentially from Russia. I'm sorry. Let's back up. Back. Okay, sure. Einstein knew that he needed someone to prove this theory. He knew it would yeah. work in his advantage if proof could be made. He was sure that proof would happen eventually, mm-hmm. but he wanted to help it along. He wanted to push it along a little bit and get some people out there excited to actually do this for him. And so he invited Freundlich to visit him, and he hosted him. He showed him the town. He talked physics with him. He got him all excited. Oh, yeah. He really had a great time and and tried to get he tried to get other phys like is that the guy he entertained on his honeymoon yeah, it, yeah. It, it's his own okay. it, it's Fre- Freundlich's honeymoon right on on Freundlich brought his wife along on his honeymoon to meet Einstein <laughs> and uh it's it's so hilarious the story but the whole community of astrophysicists it's a different group they didn't care they had enough to do at their observatories they didn't need to prove einstein's theory they wanted to catch this or that or the other thing yeah. but freundlich was convinced that this could be his big thing this could put him on the map so he yeah. aligned himself with einstein and then took the expedition uh to go in 1914 catch the solar eclipse mm-hmm. and world war 1 broke out tor yeah and uh <laughs> so freundlich is based in uh, i think the crimean part of russia and campbell had his telescope set up near kiev Mm -hmm. campbell is an american astronomer so uh, freundlich is a german and and right about that time uh, world war one breaks out and germany declares war on russia so the russian soldiers say to freundlich you're a german you're now a prisoner of war so they capture him with all this crazy gear. Yeah. They think he's like a spy. spy yeah, because he's got <laughs> huge telescopes and cameras and, and everything. Yeah, because he's, they confiscate his gear and they intern him. And he's captured <laughs> on this expedition for Einstein. And what happens to Campbell? Well, Campbell, he's an American. So they're like, okay, you guys are neutral. So Campbell, you can go ahead and take your pictures of the solar eclipse. Fine. So he's cool. He's ready to go. He sets up the telescopes, ready to go, and it's cloudy. <laughs> oh. I mean, it is just crazy yeah. what happened to them. Yeah. So they get nothing. <laughs> Two of them go out there, and they get nothing. Uh, and Freundlich, because he's a prisoner of war for months, I think. Yeah, yeah. He's eventually and, released. And, uh-huh. you know, he goes on to a career, but it was just the ultimate. Yeah. Of, oh. oh, my God. But you know what turns out? 
Einstein realized that in 1914, his math wasn't right. Could have been better. Whatever they would have found, it would have disproved his theory because his math wasn't right. So uh, by about 1916, Isaac, uh, I, I think at this time he's actually having a trying to figure out the math before this other mathematician figures it out. Because so it's, it's a little a kind of a, a contest, a, a race there going, which is also a fun story. But uh, but by 1916, Einstein figures out the right math for this whole thing. So the next. Eclipse that can possibly prove his theory is in uh, 1919. Well, this that, is Australia, right? This is, I think, Africa. Is it Africa? Yeah. Okay. Uh, I believe Africa and Eddington, uh, who I believe is, I think, from the United Kingdom. He goes to Africa. And this is 1919. This what could is a, go wrong? Well, this is a 10-week <laughs> sea voyage to get to Africa and set up his stuff. And so he's in the humid the you know the rainy cloudy uh tropics here mm-hmm. setting up his telescopes and cameras and there's a lot of clouds and it's just a lot of work the skies it's cloudy but they're getting patches of openness where they can see the eclipse so they're just taking pictures as fast as they can just flipping the plates through there and taking as many as they can and i think it takes a year later for him to actually find a star on one of the plates most of them were junk there's too many clouds right he finds like one star that he can calculate and it turns out it matches einstein theory theory exactly but the scientific community doesn't uh, really buy into it because campbell the the russian the russians didn't imprison him but mm. they did take all his telescopes so <sighs> he didn't have his good set of telescopes so there was another eclipse or something around the same time that he photographed using kind of a cobbled together telescopes. Uh-huh. He did the math on that. And it didn't show the and same. And it showed that Einstein's theory was wrong. Which allowed a, it allowed a long time to pass of people doubting Einstein. Yeah. So yeah. people are like, I don't know. You know, Eddington says it's true and Campbell is like, I don't know. But Campbell kind of eased off he didn't he didn't push on publishing his results uh because Eddington said it it did work so i think i don't think candle was 100% behind his findings right and, and then later in i don't remember was it 1922 or so was this or, the australia or, one cuz I, I know it was australia where yeah, it was actually i think confirmed. australia and i think it's campbell and a whole bunch of other people yeah. set up telescopes All in across australia, australia. yeah to take to take the uh, photographs of the eclipse there, mm-hmm. and there it's actually Campbell. You know, a bunch of others have equipment failures; it doesn't work. But Campbell actually gets some decent shots. He does the math, and he said, "Yes, Einstein theory works. Mm-hmm. It the math works." So between Eddington and Campbell, and you know, we got to put a. <laughs> Good E for effort for Froilich. Froilich gets an E for effort. Yeah. Froilich is a minor hero. He suffered for science. Physics. He yeah. suffered for science. Yeah. Lured uh, by Einstein into an internment so camp. So they actually have <laughs> physical evidence that Einstein's math works. Awesome. So uh, the interesting thing about Eddington is uh, part of the reason he was uh, interested in Einstein or, or they kind of related was that Eddington was also a pacifist. So when other people were, 
distancing themselves from Einstein because at, at the beginning of World War II, Einstein, not World War II, but World War I, Einstein was working in Berlin with uh, a whole bunch of scientists and, and all this. And then the war breaks out. And practically every scientist is like, "Yes, we are behind Germany. We are, yeah. we're, we're going to, you know, support the troops. This is a good war. Whatever, go, go, go." And Einstein's like, "No, wait, war bad." Uh, and and so and these other scientists actually signed a petition saying mm-hmm. they support the war, and Einstein put forth his own petition. He only got like three or four people to sign it. Yeah, there were some of my heroes but, on there, and they were like the Men in Black for Germany. They were. Pro war or Germany were yeah 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 mm-hmm. one of them was Max Planck wasn't it yeah Max Planck yeah was was pro war uh, Fritz Haber or Fritz Huber he was a good friend of Einstein and actually tried to help you know keep their marriage together but that that ended up failing but Fritz Huber like he he totally got into the World War One and actually uses chemistry expertise to help develop the chlorine gas weapons for germany yeah took it that much farther yeah yeah that worked (laughs) (laughs) well it did he was a chemist and it did work but it turned out it's pretty damn heinous it's one of the things very few things that everyone agreed yeah let's ban this yeah let's not do that anymore that that's not so good i mean i I think pink floyd's gonna have a good run with this but uh (laughs) other than that i don't think it's a good idea yeah So anyway, with with Fritz Hauber, uh, you know, just really diving into the the weapons of mass destruction with his chlorine gas and everything, I have a theory, and and I haven't seen this written by anybody else, and so I might be completely wrong, that Einstein's World War One experience, as seen all his German, uh, you know, colleagues going uh, crazy about war. Uh, I think that might be partly behind his motivation to write the letter to Roosevelt saying that uh, the Germans are going to try to build the bomb and knowing how enthusiastic uh, German scientists can be. Well, I, I know that was I, a I rationality think, I think used that by might... a lot of people in the Manhattan Project. I mean, a lot of physicists. We talked about this. Yeah, so it was a bit yeah. depressing talking about uh, Feynman. Feynman. I, mean, I, yeah. I love Richard Feynman. I, I just think that the Manhattan Project... You know, you're right, Sputnik had a goal that was utter destruction, but it was a, yeah, it was a complimentary utter destruction <laughs> to match the other utter destruction that would have come from the other direction. Well, right. But Einstein himself had nothing to do with the Manhattan Project other than the letter. Other than the letter, right. That's true. That is and, true. And, and part of the reason is for that is they knew he would talk too much. He was not one to keep secrets. So, in right. fact, he talked to um, Maleva about um Elsie did I say her name right Elsa yeah Elsa and uh just cuz he couldn't he, he was very open and honest about everything yeah and, i mean and, he had visited Elsa while he was married to Maleva mm-hmm. and and they had a f- affair we're not sure exactly like two year know. yeah before he finally divorced right and, and then yeah. when they got divorced immediately he got married to Elsa who was really a homemaker made a home for him and kept him comfortable. He made him comfortable, yeah, and you know kept him able to do his thing. And he didn't really get that with Maleva because they were always generally often separated and in different places. Different and cities. When they were together, 
it didn't always work out eye to eye right? because she never saw herself as a homemaker. She wanted to be part of the physics community. And Einstein really Maliva was realized, more of a co-worker. Right. And Einstein yeah. realized that he didn't need a co-worker and that he, he had enough sounding boards out there to share his ideas with that. It sounds cold and mean, but yeah, their relationship fell apart when she wanted to be a part of it right with him. And mm-hmm. I think burn that, they were trying to stay together and it just. Right. So he married Elsa, who was uh, um, his a cousin, co- a cousin. Mm. Also, uh, she was a widow and had two children of her own by her previous marriage. And that also became part of the Einstein family mm-hmm. as well. And and mm. you're right. I mean, this marriage was a marriage in from 1919 on was basically convenience. And he had very strict rules laid out where. I think you were mentioning him being a douchebag you know, in the in the homemaking field uh, in that <laughs> it was uh, you're not allowed in this room. You must knock before entering this room and we right. have separate beds and this is how things work. Yeah, um, he had to have it his way. He was not right. flexible yeah. in that sort. He definitely did get it his way. So I guess the only point I was trying to make is that I, I mean, maybe given for the period of time that was maybe more common uh, but it just it it struck me as uh, very different from his other writings and the way he generally conducted his life. So, you know. mm-hmm. and he, he did have numerous affairs after that too. Just I mean, the idea that he was partying with Charlie Chaplin, I know, and, and that well, had to be. He became really famous, and Max Fleischer drew that comic of maybe we can find the image of it, but uh, the video of it on YouTube of Max Fleischer illustrating his theory of relativity. And then he became fr- friends with Charlie Chaplin, hung out with him. And he asked Charlie Chaplin, so uh, what does all this fame really mean? And Charlie Chaplin said, nothing at all. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's just amazing that Einstein said that to Charlie Chaplin. And Charlie well, Chaplin yeah, said be a, that. Yeah, to be a fly in the wall with those discussions. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. It's just amazing. Yeah. <laughs> well, just to sort of wrap up the the stuff I was saying about World War One. Um, apparently in Einstein's journals... On the day that the uh, king abdicates the throne, the king in Germany, at the end of World War One, uh, Einstein wrote, "Class canceled due to revolution." It's <laughs> <laughs> a pretty good excuse. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah we're kind of busy today. Yeah. So, so after a so little shout out to all you Libyans out there. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Class canceled. Put that on your blackboard. Uh-huh. Due to revolution. After uh, Einstein won the Nobel Prize in 1921, he did a lot of world travel, as we had mentioned earlier, and uh, he had he'd gone to uh, many places uh, in Asia. Also, spent ten days in Palestine, which was British run at that time. So, and I think he always he always had a connection with um, Einstein. Was raised Jewish, but they were non practicing Jews, right? So. He never really, and in fact, when his early schooling was was in a Catholic school, yeah, um, and that didn't really trouble him greatly. It, it wasn't anything that he he worried about a great deal. He ignored so it a he, great deal. He ignored it. A great didn't deal. really concern him. <laughs> Although one one motivary he always says is he's he's trying to figure out what God God's doing with the universe. He wants to figure out the one e- equation that will explain. God but I got to say, else. I got to jump in right now. But, a lot of people make a lot of big deal about the God does not play dice with the universe and the fact that he uses God in his discussions right. of the universe. 
when Einstein and people like that talk about God in the universe, they're really talking about the underlying mechanics of the entire universe right. itself. Yeah. yeah. They're not yeah. talking about a God up in the cloud judging you for fucking your neighbor's wife. They're talking about just it's the not universe. A deity. It's not yeah. a deity. It's the universe. And yeah. he's often misapplied and misappropriated into religious forms and things like that in that, well, Einstein said God this and God that. And even right. if you look him up on on some of the internet memes that that filter around about the smart ass in the classroom who schools the atheist professor, mm-hmm. some of those memes that go around where it's Einstein who fooled him into saying that there is a God or something like that. So mm-hmm. it's very easy and very tricky. And even people like Stephen Hawking are trying to not use that kind of language and trying to change mm-hmm. the way they talk in order to make people understand that this isn't something that should be misapplied into religiosity. Yeah, it's so. it's it's the unexplained, the unknown, the overall, as you say, the overall mechanic. Right. Yeah, the mechanics. But of course, at, at the time, uh, you know, in that period of history, that's that's something everybody can relate to. Well, yes, is, is how God works and all mm-hmm. that because it is a part of everybody's life, either directly or indirectly, and and even today, you can kind of see why he would use that analogy. Well, like you're and, talking about the boson particle, and it's often referred to as the God particle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's more or less for the same the same reason. It's an underlying particle. It's a, it, right. it creates many different effects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't necessarily mean a deity. But I don't want to derail you. What were you saying, Tor? So oh, I don't interrupt I don't, you. I don't, I don't remember. I don't want to hear about it. In the forums, you know, it, it is interesting though. I <laughs> Am mean, I interrupting you, Tor? Again, well, once, again, did I interrupt you? I'm once, sorry. Once the physicists, uh, you know, figure out the whole unified theorem or whatever, you know, will it, you know, to do all the math and it'll say equals, you know, will it be like Methodist or something like that? <laughs> yeah. You know, like, <laughs> yeah, you got a Methodist they, they coloring it. book. Yeah. And you what color. was the correct answer? Really? Anyone? Well, anyone? <laughs> anyone? No, it was Mormon. Mormon. Yeah. Mormon. Oh, really? Didn't see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that with uh, Einstein's travels, that uh, when he he visited Japan, he was he was very struck by the Japanese people and culture. It was one of his favorite areas. In fact, he said that he he liked the Japanese the most of of all of his travels because they were modest, intelligent, considerate, and have a feel for art. And wow. he, he really liked that. And hmm. so, wow. and as I say, he he also um, you know visited Palestine and you know certainly mm-hmm. as we will see later well, on it had a very real connection with the later on the state of Israel. Yeah, he identified mm. more and more with his Jewish ancestry. Not because of his religiousness, but he felt like the persecution was starting to not just even lean toward his people, but towards his theories and being Mm -hmm. the Jew who came up with the idea. Right. His idea was getting ridiculed based on his his religion or race. When the Nazis came to power, um, you know, because Einstein was a Jew and because he was a pacifist, I mean, they really wanted him. He was a huge target. They wanted to get him. Yeah, and uh, he was not well liked by the Nazis, so I mean he faces that persecution firsthand. Plus, uh, people like Fritz Hubbard that I mentioned, he actually was a Jew as well, but he converted to Christianity. Uh, this is during World War One, you know, just because he's so gung ho for the war, I guess. So you know, Einstein sees 
this is part of his life where people convert to Christianity just so they can get acceptance. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, you can't remain a Jew if you want to be accepted. So it, it, it's, it's interesting. Well, as, as we were talking about earlier that, you know, Einstein, Einstein was visiting the United States when Hitler became chancellor in 33 and decided to permanently stay in the United States. And obviously because of his... Scientific... The Olympics are of no interest to me. <laughs> <laughs> and if, in fact, um, when the, the Nazis started burning books, many of the books they burned were Einstein's as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, Goebbels actually had a, you know, a bounty, a $5,000 bounty out on his head. A few knowledge. Yeah. F you knowledge, we don't care. You know what what's amazing about that is yeah, they did all that, but at the same time they actually were working on the atomic bomb. Which well, is right. which is, you know, based on yeah. E equals M C squares, one of mm-hmm. Einstein's equations, the most famous equation. He, of he had a lot to do with it more than just the letter too. And I think he realized that. Yeah. And, and and in many ways I think um, he felt it undermined a lot of his positions, his lifetime beliefs in one world government and in pacifism, because, you know, clearly when the Cold War started to really take effect, the world became even more fragmented. The power paradigm changed a bit, but not really. Mm-hmm. So then you started getting the concepts of superpowers, and but not a great deal. And also Einstein said around this time, too, that when he started to meet with other emigres from, you know, what was going on in Europe, uh, both Jewish and non-Jewish, scientists and, and non-scientists that he had never felt more Jewish than he did right at that time. And yeah. he settled in one mm-hmm. of the greatest places in America, New Jersey. <laughs> yeah, Jersey. it's a Jersey thing. <laughs> Princeton, New Jersey, <laughs> which is a position he held until his death in 1955. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Institute for the Advanced Study. Yes. Which I think was pretty much just him. <laughs> <laughs> he was his own department. Yeah, he's pretty advanced. Um, he be- he didn't become a citizen actually until 1940, and he said that he he appreciated the meritocracy in American culture, meaning that you know you you could you could earn something rather than just have a title handed to you. Because again, remember, you know he grew up in very imperial Germany. Duh. Well, I can relate to that being raised in very imperial America. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Times have changed. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. This meritocracy. Uh, the wealthy wait, overlords. What? They pretty much shot to hell. But <laughs> they, yeah. they decide. I'm cynical. You know what, guys? I have talked about this, and I'm in a sidebar for five more minutes. No, maybe two. I remember talking about this years ago in this podcast, maybe two years ago, where I was talking about how student loans make people beholden to the system because. You have to go to college. You cannot get certain jobs without going to college. And that makes you indebted to the system if you can't afford that mm-hmm. degree out of pocket. And therefore, you're going to have to pay for that degree for years. I'm right. still paying for my degree. Mm-hmm. I'm still paying 20 years later for my degree. And it frustrates me and saddens me. And I wonder if I want my own children to have to go through this. I don't because I don't want them to blindly follow a culture and a society that they feel like they have to participate in and get a job in, in order to pay back the things that they owe, because these Mm -hmm. things should be part of our public. Our Republic should fund these things. Our Republic should be strong enough to build these things for our group. Like many other cultures do. 
I'm looking at you, Sweden. I'm looking at you, England. I'm looking at all the other countries who are so-called socialists who put these things out there for their public to go to college. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable the amount of money Americans have to pay to go to college. Oh, and that's just increasing by leaps and bounds right. every year. And and I feel I feel more and more in debt every year, and I'm too old for that. Mm-hmm. And there's no way in hell either of my daughters, the Viking princess or Godzuki, are going to be in the same position that I've been in. And it's very frustrating to me that this pay-to-play system is what rules American government. It's on my mind very heavily. Mm-hmm. And when I see Occupy Wall Street, and I see people starting to hold up signs that say, you know, $1 billion is, you know, student debt. And this is what we're all paying back to these corporations that were fluffing these horrible mortgage ideas and destroying other corporate entities. The system was so fucked up that it's so frustrating Mm -hmm. that I just, Mm -hmm. I don't, I don't understand how children should go to college and go so far into debt that they end up stuck supporting a culture that doesn't support them. End rant. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I totally agree with that. It's it's interesting that you mentioned that because I, I saw this commercial recently that had Mike Rowe in it, you know, mm. from, you know, Dirtiest Jobs and... Uh, it should be a scientist. Used to be the most. <laughs> dirty job. Dirty job. I got yeah. so far in debt that I'm doing this horrible science job, and I'm paying it back for years and years and years and years. Well, Mike Rose is currently now like a shill for Ford, which, of course, we did in an earlier oh, podcast. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But what was interesting was is at the time he was doing a commercial for, I, I don't remember, it was it was some continuing adult education, and he made this comment. Blue collar, white collar, doesn't really matter. Money's still green. And I just thought, oh, my God. So it's really come to that. This is really just whatever you can goddamn get. <laughs> whatever you can say. Yeah. I mean, there's not, I mean, in a sense, there's really nothing wrong with that attitude. But it's just amazing that in, in our own lifetime, we've seen it go to, oh, what the hell, whatever. Yeah. Well, part of me, part of me yeah. thinks, I mean, would I be happier if my, like, let, let's just say have I had a son or a daughter? Would I be happier if they just go into the society with no debt, take an apprenticeship and get a job that pays them forty grand out the box mm-hmm. where they can just do refrigerator repair or something that's oh, actually no. mundane but yeah. a technical skill and really useful and people need it and know how to do something without going into debt where you're paying year after year after year mm-hmm. after year after year just because you've got a four-year degree that you couldn't afford – but through grants through the federal government that were supported by Sally May and Freddie May and blah, 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 that that you fall so far into debt that you you have to fund yourself. I've often thought that if I had it to do over again, I I would have not gone to college because honestly, it didn't have that huge of an impact either on my career or me as a person Mm -hmm. in that I was always a huge reader and a lot of the things that I came in contact with within college weren't necessarily i mean yeah I, I picked, as an autodidact i think i picked up way more after yeah yeah 
And and honestly, if I would have learned a trade or you know a, you know apprenticed myself to something, I I would have probably been far better off. Right. I mean, we've worked with some people. I've worked with you guys in different scenarios, and we've worked with people who've had the situation where they have the house, they have the jet skis, they have a boat, they yeah. have all this stuff because they didn't go to college. Yeah. It's amazing to me. And yeah. and is that wrong headed? I mean, it's interesting. No. I think it's it's yeah. basically you know it shouldn't be that way. <laughs> I know you go to college in order to afford having a life, but not not yeah. anymore. America does not work that way. You go to college because you need to, and it's a debt that you're. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's the new company store. Yeah, and it horrifies me because the idea that education would become the company store. I think education is so important. I think college is actually really really important to help engage the mind and in in hitting new things not just your track like i'm gonna be a x or y i'm gonna be an engineer but i'm gonna hit the generals in college those generals i think are so important because of the college level true when you hit them and you learn them and you get a great professor and you're at that age of 19 20 21 you're gonna pick up and figure out i really don't want to be that yeah. I want to learn something very different, and mm-hmm. I'm now sparked, and this is very interesting to me, and it helps you move in a really interesting direction. Well, so, as, as we had said earlier, too, with Einstein, right. you know, education uh, was was a, a very real concern to him throughout his life, and and was always saying, you know, try to, you know, don't don't just throw out some some dead and anachronistic material, and then hope somebody gets something from it every mm-hmm. now and again. Yeah, you know, really do something to engage people. But I know what you're saying in terms of, of the debt. Where I work, uh, we just had the most frustrating meeting with our deadhead chancellor, the newest one. He's a Grateful Dead fan. <laughs> no, no. Deadhead means oh, something different he's, he's in this just, parlance. He's, he's oh, just okay. one of these type of people that it reminds me a lot of the Bush years, where the bar has been lowered so far. Where you really don't even have to be a public speaker, you don't have to be articulate, you Is don't have to have people wrestler? skills. No, because they have all those things. I mean, yeah. maybe I mean maybe I'll not necessarily you, articulate, <laughs> but at least you know. The point being is that you know, close to fifty percent default on their on their loans, and it's mainly because they have to. Mm-hmm. You know, they keep wondering. He was actually kind of bitter about how well these private institutions were doing. And it's like, oh, you mean the ones that are successful, the ones that are using iPads. You can download a course. And yeah, I mean, they're... they're Where the kids are rich and they and come the kids from rich are families. Rich. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they're doing but, I mean, really they're, well, aren't they're they? They're successful, yeah. <laughs> but that's the thing is that, it, you know, you, people are pushed more and more to that. And because the gap is getting wider and wider and wider, that's more and more unattainable. Mm-hmm. So, and again, again, what I said in concept, what Mike Rose said was not necessarily a bad thing, but it it kind of felt to me like he was saying, "Hey, aim lower, kids. It's easier. Less well, right. disappointment." I, I'm yeah. sorry. I mean, this is the kind of thing, and I hate to digress so far, but that's that's life. That's America. That's the way we live. Mm-hmm. But the damned if I'm going to let my children follow in my footsteps. So I just was thinking, it's really, really entertaining and interesting to me to watch this movement all of a sudden say the things that I've been thinking for years Mm -hmm. and even articulated in this podcast maybe a year or two ago where I was like, why is it a company store? Why is a college education a company store? It shouldn't be. Mm -hmm. No. Yeah. 
And I really think we should say, I mean, we are totally for, you know, super intellectualism. We're for the Einsteins of the world that are ready to, you know, figure things out and really push society forward. You know, it, it's got to work in this system. That, right. That's, and well, and what we have, support, we have a broken system right now. Yeah, the now. system should support the 99%. And, and I hate to use their language, but the system should support 100% of kids going to college so that you can find the kids who really can benefit from the education yeah, right. and not not could, be a shackling system of creating who don't a end new... up having to join the military to learn a skill or a trade or get fed or wear clothes and right. then end up coming home mangled or dead. That's or exactly what happened to my brother. That's exactly what happened to my brother. I mean, I was going to go down the same damn path because I couldn't afford college, but you know what happened? My military recruiter got a DUI on the way to recruiting me. And I did not get recruited because he didn't show up. And I found out why later. And then I ended up having to pay for college by myself. Mm-hmm. I, I know there's a lot of people like this. And I knew I wasn't not going to go to college. But now right. I'm thinking, hey, maybe my kids could not go to college and still be happy. Because sure. not going to college is not going into incredible debt for 20, 30 years. It's, it's just basic, <laughs> you know, basically earning a living, and it's the mm-hmm. life you have outside of that job. I mean, I think it's great if people are inspired by their job and they like mm-hmm. to you know, get up skipping every day to go to it. But, I mean, that's honestly a very small minority. I mean, I, I got to believe that most people you know, are pretty much like us, where you're, you're doing this to pay for your life. Unless you're a because, skipping professor. Yeah, and and we've seen those too. Yeah, but I skip to work every day. Yeah, well, it turns out my office now is roach infested. Oh, so, uh, super. Apparently, they had roaches on the floor below us, and that they hired an exterminator. So that just scared them up to our floor. And I bet that exterminator makes good money. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. anyway, probably sorry. does. Didn't mean to derail, but yeah, the the exterminator is getting hired again, coming back on Monday. So Einstein did very well for himself, and he spent the last 30 years of his life focusing on unifying theory. Yeah, unified field theory, trying to to unite all the forces into it's one all set out of there. equations. And I, I do think it's out there. Time and time again, people have come up with situations, like which most recently happened in September, where faster than light particle, Einstein is wrong. This happens so often. It's so common. True. Einstein's wrong. Great. We'll all learn from yeah, it. We'll and, move on. Well, and Einstein will still probably be right in some aspect. Yeah. It'll but, be the right. new classical physics. We, but yeah. he's you know, not been proven wrong. You know, even yet. if even if they do, like you're saying, it'll be the new classical physics. Even if they do prove that neutrinos can f- travel right. faster than light, Newton's physics still can explain the game of baseball. Mm-hmm. Einstein's physics will still explain an awful lot. And then there'll be like a new kind of physics that might be able to explain sure. these neutrinos. And I've said exactly. time and time again that this Higgs boson experiment is really wonderful. I'm really excited about it. It might settle some of the string theory. It might settle some of the M theory. We might be able to break things down a little bit and start moving the discussion forward rather right. than into navel gazing. Because navel yeah. gazing can get really, really boring and lay people can't handle interlaid uh, 4D models that are 11D, that are 12D, that are 14D. Some of the uh-huh. some of the books that that I always remember were the ones that that really tried to take a lot of the new physics and bring it in to the popular culture, like uh, the Dancing Wooly Masters mm-hmm. and all the things about Schrodinger's cat. Those were really good books because uh, it did put it in terms that you could 
And I think that's one of the strengths of Stephen Hawking's books, too, is that although Hawking, like Einstein now, is getting to be more known for his non-scientific opinions and so on, which I don't think is terrible. That's okay. <laughs> yeah, that's fine, too. Mm-hmm. Like you say, when, that, when he was, they, they did that first Curiosity episode on the Science Channel, and their very first question was, did God create the universe? And I thought, well, you know, starting out small, <laughs> yeah, working <let's> up. <laughs> And basically, you know, Hawking just said, well, you know, um, no, uh, Big Bang, infinite mass, time stops, no causality, no God. Mm-hmm. Now, if you want to oh. have a particular set of faiths and, you know, do good with that, fine. But don't look for it to actually explain how the world works. And that's where I think you can compartmentalize it. I mean, if if you want to take religion and use it as a set of uh, values or working with a church group at a food pantry or something, I I really have no problem with that. It's always that Mm -hmm. the fact that you have little people with far too much power. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be someone like Kurt Vonnegut said so well in Cat's Cradle that's going to, you know, your followers are the ones that are going to completely fuck it up for everybody. Do you like candy? (laughs) Yeah. I got some licorice. (laughs) That that boy, Chris. Chris. (laughs) Where's that dark paper boy? No, that I, is like well, the probably the creepiest <laughs> character on TV. Creepiest, yeah, uh, yeah. I I agree. Um, so you know what? Let's go to mailbag. Einstein was great. Thirty years of searching for a unified theory led him nowhere. But this is not unsurprising. But his brain did a lot of traveling after. Mm-hmm. And you know, one thing we talked about Einstein didn't dr- talk about your hat dress. Yes. Well, <laughs> Einstein, he's a very practical person. When he, he he was out in the sun, and if he figured he was getting too much sun, he would just take his hanky and put little knots in each of the corners, and that would make a, the flat hanky turn into a curved hat, and he can just put that on his head. Tor has been wearing a wow. curved hanky hat the entire show, and Sputnik <laughs> has been looking at him going, what the... I didn't, I didn't really make that connection. I kept thinking of Monty Python and Archbishop Gumby. Okay. I would like to see two bricks cracked together. But the interesting thing that this goes with Einstein is, okay, a hanky's flat. But if you put knots in the corner, it's curved. Right. It's like space being curved by a gravity right. well. Yeah. That's right. So, yeah. it's yeah, it's a, Very interesting personality. Please let us know if you have any Albert Einstein stories or tidbits to share at feedback at tankriot.com, which is the mailbag. That's right. And we're going into that right now. Quietly. We also have a P.O. Box. You can get the P.O. Box number at tankriot.com. And we were very fortunate to receive a big box, a gigantic biggest box, maybe the biggest box we've ever received. This was a box. From uh, Rob. And uh, Rob runs a T-shirt store. He was able to provide us with a number of T-shirts. We thank you so much. They're so awesome that we will enjoy wearing them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
He also had some questions about a comic book, so he sent us the comic book to read, and we will check that out. He and also he, had a comment about um, Redbox uh, renting of videos, and yeah. and the idea that we we do use Netflix because our favorite video store closed. I have never used a Redbox. I don't appreciate that, and I agree with him yeah. in the fact that. If I'm going to rent a video from someone in town, it's four-star video heaven, mm-hmm. or whatever town you're in, it should be that mom-and-pop store right. that has videos. That's where you right. should go. Do not rent from Redboxes. I'm serious about this. Right. I'm not just pandering to him, but I'm I'm saying that you you can only get like 10 titles from a Redbox in a store, yeah. whereas your video store has like everything. Thousands, and, yeah. Yeah, well, well we, Four we Star Video kind of Heaven is is probably one of my favorite stores because I really enjoy silent films, mm-hmm. and they have like the best archive yeah. for silent films I've ever seen. Four and... Star's always been a go to archive video yeah. store for me, mm-hmm. and Four Star is now my yeah. only home video store. I loved, loved, loved Bongo Video, guys. I'll get over it. They're gone. Love uh, them. They were awesome, and Four Star is the only place I will go to rent. A physical DVD that I cannot get mm-hmm. from Netflix or streaming. And yes, you can't get jack shit streaming. So I'm kind of disappointed with the level of streaming well, available. I think Rob was referring yeah. to when I made a comment about a Zach Galifianakis movie that I, I rented from Redbox, which I hadn't seen anywhere else. Isn't it? And no, it was The Imagineer. Oh. <laughs> and... I really enjoyed the movie, but I, th- I think Rob's point is is a very good one. I have not rented before since, and I don't intend to because it's just weird. And I, I, I think that yeah. you promote the open market and you promote having more things available if you don't just dial into that system where you're only allowed 10 choices. It's like a local bookstore. Right. I would much rather browse in a local bookstore than go to a big box. Right. And I would yeah. much rather go to a four-star video than I would, you know, I mean, Netflix, yeah, they've got a bunch of stuff on it and I do, you know, subscribe to the streaming service, but honestly, that's more or less for the documentaries. Yeah, I don't, when I you're don't voracious, really watch movies. When you're voracious, yeah. you got to combine your library, your Netflix and yeah. your local video store. Right. Oftentimes. When you're researching for Tank Riot, that's pretty much that's what right. you do. Oh, dude, yeah. When you got I'm a looking lot of for like crazy stuff, yeah. I'm like everywhere. But hey, if you are a Redbox executive... And you're like, hey, don't dish Redbox. This is where I work. Well, hey, what you need to do is get a lot of really cutting-edge titles, uh, documentaries or movies that will really really make people think. So when Joe Tea Party shows up at your Redbox to get a movie, his only choices would be like some cutting-edge movie that will push his view of the world. Like Gashole. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, dudes... One movie that I've seen that I have not talked about mm-hmm. is The Brown Bunny. Now, oh, no, you're not going to bring that up I'm going to totally bring it up because oh. I would not have seen this movie. This movie, all right, all right, all right. Ebert called it the worst movie ever. Okay. And then Vince edited it. He mm-hmm. broke it down and he brought it more to a reasonable length. And right. then there was a giant feud between Roger Ebert and Vince... Gallo and yeah. and these guys just went at each other. Where where Ebert was like, "I may be fat tomorrow, but tomorrow you'll still be the director of the Brown Bunny." Yeah. You know, these guys were like really mad at each other. And then when it was edited, Ebert was like, "Yeah, it's great. It's much better now." And honestly, great film. Once Truly. it was edited, once it was 
edited. You need to see the edited version, not the unedited. Uh, from downwards, downward spiral of craziness for Victor. This is definitely a fall movie, and I'm I'm feeling I might want to look for something happier now. Okay, but the movie's dark. Stars some really great actors, really great actresses. Cheryl Teague's some weird stuff going on. Weird movie. Wow. You get to the ending. You get to some crazy sex stuff going on at the ending that once you read about this movie and what it's about and how they did it is just even crazier. And then the ending is just, wow. I It was an affecting okay. movie. Vince Gallo, I think, is a true artist. And the guy always has rubbed me the wrong way. The guy has always bothered me. Yeah. But Buffalo 66, I loved it. And this movie... I put off for the longest time thinking, oh, he's finally gone off the cliff. And then I watched the edited version of this film. Chloe Savini's in it. And there's this whole fellatio scene that is rumored to be real. And I think is. And whatever. It doesn't matter. They they put their hearts and souls in this film. And it is a great, destructive, 1970s style film. In that it takes the Easy Rider approach of giving you the long still shots of destruction and the long still shots of contemplation that draw you into the plot. I'll give it a shot. But it goes nowhere and then it goes somewhere and then it ends and you're like, holy crap. Mm -hmm. I want to hear your feedback on it. All right. Feedback at tankriot.com. If you're Sputnik, just call me and tell me. All right. Sounds good. (laughs) Brown bunny. I was, I'm surprised I was down with it. Anyway, more, more mail. Wow. Well, here's, here's when we got from Paige who uh, said that Victor mentioned that he had uh, a crush on Kim Richards well, from Escape Tor, from Witch Mountain. I think Tor did, too. What? Oh, from the original Witch Mountain <laughs> yeah. movies? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And yeah. she's now on The Real Housewives of Beverly Hills and is crazy. <laughs> oh, really? So, and there's a link for on Bravo TV to right down to Kim Richards, so... I didn't know that. Wow. I did not know that. Something to look into there. I didn't know that either. I'll have to look into that. Here, I got one from uh, Erica, who said that she wished I had known I was traveling to New Mexico. She had lived in the Santa Fe area for five years and spent a lot of time in Albuquerque as well. Uh, Man, all the places I could have sent you for breakfast burritos alone. (laughs) Well, I will be sure, because I will be going back there. In fact, I would love to move to Albuquerque. So (laughs) That's awesome. So I will let you know. If you have any more CDs with hand claps, Erica, we're always available. (laughs) You know, we got an email from uh, Luke who asked if we'd heard of the video, which is incidentally streaming on Netflix called Blasted, the Gonzo uh, Hunter S. Thompson. It's about him being blasted out in the canon. Have you seen that? No. I have not either. It is available. It's called Blasted! Exclamation point. I'll check it out. It's all about an essay contest to determine who could shoot Hunter Thompson out of a cannon. So, hey, there you go. That's worthwhile. All right. Definitely. Now for something completely different. Part of me is, is very depressed simply because I grew up at a period of time when, you know, there was all these assumptions about America and its place and you as a person in the country and in the world and so forth. And I don't mean just being a leader or number one or the highest standard of living or any other horse shit we were always spoon fed. 
but that America was a political experiment and that it was still going on. After a certain period of time and after a certain involvement and paying attention to the history and the politics of it, you realize that it's been a failed experiment for a very long time, that this is one dark spot in many. I don't know honestly what it'll take. There was there was a great South Park where the kids were playing Border Patrol. They were calling uh, Mexicans. Try, and the whole thing was to try to get through the border and then call base. What was funny about it is that Butters actually became like this leader of all these these Mexicans that had come across the border and were working these crappy jobs and said, you know what? This place sucks. Let's go back to Mexico. So all these people going back to Mexico. And then, of course, all these jobs that nobody wanted to do. And so then the Border Patrol was pointed in the opposite direction, trying to keep all the Mexicans in. (laughs) And that's, you know, really what it's come down to is that we've become this place that people really don't want to go to and probably shouldn't go to. It's like, who's going to be the new underclass now? Right. And Walker's attacks on public employees and teachers and education in general, I think is just part of that whole process where you're just looking at who can we chew on now? Who can we feed on now? Who can be the next set of victims so we don't have to face the real set of issues that we have, Mm -hmm. which is that we've got some of the worst health care, that our standard of living has plummeted, that you can't expect every little boy and girl can't expect to be president. I mean, that was never true. That was horseshit anyways. But the fact mm-hmm. is, is that it just all those barefaced lies are just wearing so thin and they still try to repackage them and shove them out to you as Tea Party or or libertarianism or Koch brother libertarianism or uh, well, this makes me a patriot and, and we've got to get America back on the right track. It's like getting America on the right track to me would be that we'd actually become a real part of the world community, not just, okay, we're the armed suppliers to the world. We're the people that are going to go in and occupy some country for X number of decades. And the fact now that we have... Like, why are we still in Iraq? Why are we still in Afghanistan? What is going on in those countries right now? Does yeah. anyone even know? Well, the Does the media report on it? Does anyone in, really. in Nebraska hear about this? No. I mean, it's so quiet. It is quiet. And then, and then therein lies the problem. is like people are still waiting for the reset. They're still waiting for the replay. or They're you waiting know, for the media to tell them what's happening. And the media does not tell people what's happening. The media tells people... Republicans yeah. are meeting. Republicans are meeting. Let's well, go watch Republicans meet. Herman Cain said nine nine nine. Whoa. <laughs> Herman Cain is, is probably just no. A, they're talking bullshit. There's yeah. nothing going on, and the media is focused on nothing. And we are still at war with Afghanistan. We are still at war in Iraq. People are still dying, albeit fewer. Al Jazeera is the only place to actually find news nowadays. Those are and still, that disgusts me. They're still dangerously unstable areas. <laughs> Plus, the effect that I mean, it's having in, in, in this country is the same as you had during Vietnam. Yes, there's why? no draft. No, there's no flag-draped coffins that were allowed to photograph. But what you do have is all the same problems. You've got the suicides. You've got the domestic abuse. You've got the substance abuse. I'm not abuse. denying that. I'm not denying that the soldiers are coming mm-hmm. back feeling the burn of being on multiple tours of duty 
you know they're getting yeah. they are getting better i've got to say that you know on on that regard but it's frustrating that it's not reported on that all we spend oh, no. our time on is mm-hmm. dances with stars is Lindsay is Lindsay yeah. Lohan in jail or not. And yeah. And is this what yeah. CNN and Fox news and all these other people should be covering? Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, that's be covering real wars and well, real things. That's why and, I always said that I always felt bad when Walter Cronkite died because he had seen in his lifetime investigative journalism reach its peak and then just die this horrible death. Mm-hmm. You know, that you lived Emma Goldman, another person. Right. Who like, you know, lived to see all this like come to nothing. Einstein, I'm sure, probably the same. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, I wrote that damn letter. I I had these theories and now this is what we've got. We've got two stockpiles pointed at one another. So yeah. That to me is the most horrible aspect of your life is that whatever you fervently believed in, whatever I mean, yes, your beliefs should always be challenged by yourself if no one else. But the fact that right. you see them so completely and utterly trashed right in front of you, mm-hmm. that journalism of any kind that you have to search like a son of a bitch mm-hmm. on the Internet or wherever to find anything that might even come close to some kind of realistic understanding of what's going on in the world. If you, if you want no better example, you simply have to like flip through the network news, CNN or Fox, and then go to the BBC. I'm not saying the BBC is the font of, of all information, but my God, in comparison, it's awe inspiring. It's, it's an interesting comparison. I am. Oh, I'm so tired of, of the little dead or missing white girl stories so that people, you have to remember that, that step towards Al Jazeera reporting. And I'm talking Al Jazeera America. I mean, there are different posts of Al Jazeera. No, we're not advocating, you know, terrorists. No, but yeah. it was amazing. Yeah. The reason Al Jazeera has a foothold in America is they are actually a news outlet still. Right. That will change, Al right. Jazeera. That will change. Yeah. You will get owned. You will get co-opted, much like CNN, yeah. MSNBC, and Fox. Well, Al Jazeera, I mean, like the control room, I mean, that they're mostly just old BBCers that have just said, right. hey, you know what? This is bullshit. Let's go to where the news is. They'll get co-opted. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's I'm only sure. a matter of time. You you know, the thing is, though, if you're out there and you see a truth or you see something that's not being reported, it's not time to wait for the media to finally cover that. It's up to you to get it out there. That's right. One way or the other. I mean, take charge and get it out there because, hey, you saw it. Okay, you're the leader. Get going. Right. I mean, that's that's the only way we're going to get out of this mess, really. It doesn't it doesn't always come down. And Einstein said that in in, uh, one of his articles that it it doesn't the people that come up with the ideas of how to run a society or how to live in a society don't ever necessarily have to be experts. Like a great example is the the socialist mayors in in uh, Milwaukee. Now, these weren't, you know, highly educated people. These weren't super intellectuals that were banding forth, you know, Marxist theory all day and all night. They were just people that took the idea and said, okay, we have these resources. How do we equally put this out there and try to make it a better city? And it was, they were like some of the best administrations we had. And we had that in Wisconsin. Yeah. That's what makes me so sick is that we've had this wonderful progressive mm-hmm. uh, history for so long. Right. But I, I just I can't believe what what Wisconsin has and, become. And, and we look at our current Republican leaders right now, and they are so incredibly dim witted, 
and stupid and ignorant. It's pretty. You don't have to be very smart to you know out cognitive them. Yeah, but tour it's a game. I don't think I yeah. don't think they even care about how they're perceived uh, intellectually. They're meeting goals that they need to meet mm-hmm. in order for their corporate. Oh, yeah, to be it's form received. over content. It's, right. it's, yeah. it's, it's less what, than even talking yeah. points. Right, they're doing what Alec and Koch brothers tell them I, to do. And I, I don't think I, the Fitzgeralds that, are that, dumb. That, I think they're playing a game that doesn't. Agree we don't with agree your with goals. them, but the the fact uh, of the matter is, is that they hold all the cards currently. Yeah, well, they, every single they one. have the media. But I mean, this right. has always been true. Okay, they they own the, the media the, outlets. They own. But but that's not my point. My point is. There's really not much there. Intellectually, there's not a lot of substance behind what they're trying to proclaim as their truth. And uh, granted, they hold all the cards. They have all the power right now. But that doesn't mean they have it intellectually. And it's time for the rest of us to rise up and claim our stake in the whole thing that's going on here. Maybe, if nothing else, just restore some reason and work toward restoring the actual debate. Right. The fact is, is that what shall we do with the political experiment? And I don't care if America is a superpower. I don't care if we're number one in the world. I would just like to be part of the world. It would it would be nice if we could move past a federation per se. <laughs> well, federation maybe, but I, I would I would just be I would be happy if it was just a matter of that it wasn't so easy to get a room full of idiots to start cheering USA. If, USA. If, you, if you could just, if you, just if you could just candid. you know yeah. no it, it's an international podcast we're probably killing our listeners but you have to you have to understand i mean this stuff is global like things like occupy wall street it started in new york it's going everywhere and it is going it's our air spring it, it is but it is everywhere i mean every country right now is facing this kind of schism between the power culture running everything because quite honestly we talked about this in our fox news podcast people like rupert murdoch are running media outlets throughout many many countries simultaneously yep. and declaring what is the rule of law yeah and the uh, cook brothers are international too and they're lobbying internationally and they're destroying your country too so i don't feel so bad talking about our little niche Wisconsin Republic and our little niche Scott Walker is that his name? I know we have our own feudal lord here that's destroying what we see as democracy, but I know the overseers of not just Scott Walker but a lot of other leaders mm-hmm. affects many other countries. So <clears throat> I think we should all be able to figure out a way to stand up and contribute. I guess I'm endorsing the Occupy Wall Street movement, but I feel like I've got to endorse someone, and I don't endorse the corporate-endorsed Tea Party, but no. I'm frustrated, and it I am actually hateful. Basically, <laughs> Occ- <laughs> Occupy Wall Street will come down to what we make of it as a nation. You know, what gets put into it is what comes out of it. I think I'd suggest to our listeners that, hey, email us at feedback at com if you think yeah. that we're wrong, but... If you are frustrated yourself and yeah. – Oh, if you're a multimillionaire, please make donations to feedback at tankride.com. Yeah, by all we means. We have a yeah. donate button on our website and we appreciate the many, many donations we've received. We have had some very, very, very generous donors and we thank you so much. Right. Thank you very much. And we won't become your mouthpiece, but we will take your money. 
Yes, and we right. appreciate it very, very much. So we do appreciate that. We do appreciate the the kind reviews we get here yes, and there very much so. on iTunes and whatnot. But well, you know, I, one thing I'd like to say is I I have heard a lot of things at my workplace and outside of it too uh, about the situation in Greece that that really pissed me off. Uh, it, it comes down to they're retiring at the age of fifty, dude. Well, that it, should piss you off. Well, the thing the thing that get the thing that gets me is is that it's it's many of the same things and reasoning that I hear about Occupy Wall Street, and that's that oh well you know you just figure if you scream loud enough you'll get everything and you you'll just be able to go on with your life and you won't have to work for it or do whatever or somehow that you know the people of Greece who were promised and they worked all their lives to do this and and now you know things haven't worked out quite as well. That somehow they deserve this fate and that they're just whiny for saying, hey, I plan my life to be doing this and instead I'm going to be doing this and this union that I belong to doesn't really want to do anything. And then in, in America we're saying like, oh, well, so I guess it's not really a union and well, the Greeks sort of have it coming. And to me, that whole thing is exactly what's at the heart of what's wrong here People, I think, are honestly quiet and just sitting there because they think that no matter what happens, whatever little bubble we have in the economy, whatever little wars we're in, whatever, that it's, it'll all somehow go away. If you're just quiet and you're patient, it'll all go away and it'll reset and things will be all right. It's like a good you, movie. You won't have to worry your little head about it. Yeah. And no, no, it's not going to get better. Unless you do something, unless you say something. Right. So how would sitting in a park yeah. all night long make things better? I'll play devil's advocate because I'm curious. How would everyone sitting in a park day after day after day after day make Obama fucking do something and stop uh, being a fucking tool to I, the corporate overlords? I, I would, it wouldn't do anything, I'm right? not going to hold my breath for <laughs> Barack Obama to do something. If he does do something, he does something in a direction I don't really care for. So, honestly, he'll only do something if if there's a whole well, lot of pressure making him do it. There's going to be people like Tony Baloney blowing pepper spray in people's faces. Tony Baloney, and it's going to make someone light up, and someone's going to light a building on fire. Someone's going to do something wrong. Someone's going to cross the line in the protest. The protesters <sighs> are going to look bad, and then public opinion will turn. But if public opinion doesn't turn, who gives a rat's ass if people sit in the park for a month and a half, two months and a half, three months and a half? I don't know that it does in the long run in and of itself. I mean, it's it's like all the protests that we had, which were very well organized, very well behaved, even though Scott Walker and his ilk really wanted to label everyone as union thugs and were, you know, the... The throwing well, of the nine millimeter ammunition, ammunition yeah. on the ground outside and all the that happy yeah. horse shit. But the fact is, in and of itself, nothing. I think first of all, you have the awareness, and then second of all, you have to make that into some kind of action. Like I'll, I'll give you a good example: Vietnam. Those huge anti-war protests really didn't have that much effect, but when People started getting into, you know, their, the local church groups and, you know, Mr. and Mrs. America, small town, started writing their senators, trying to do this and do that and say, hey, what about this? 
So, I mean, if, if you, you have these, you know, huge protests, huge anti-war protests that mm-hmm. were televised, they had some effect, but in the end, very little. <clears throat> it was, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Meat and Potatoes who were, you know, getting their own groups together and organizing things that made the politicians say, okay, it's time to leave. It's time to actually have an exit strategy. So mm-hmm. I would say that Occupy Wall Street... Step one. I would say it's it's point five. I don't think yeah. we're even to step one yet. I think the point is is that there are people that are willing to commit, that are willing to say something and willing to do mm. something and be criticized and made fun of and whatnot on all these various mediums. However, where it goes from here is the heart of it. Yeah. Where do you take it from here? Now, granted, you know, the government itself is a bunch of paid off weasels. I mean, I think that's a given fact. I don't care yeah, what side of the political spectrum you're on, you're going to agree weasel. with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. However, if you can get enough people to say, I'm not going to buy from this store, I'm not going to do this, I'm not going to do that, mm-hmm. yeah, the worm will turn. But that has to be coordinated action. And there's, I mean, if you can have change in countries like Libya and Egypt and, you know, all these other nations, even Syria, where, I mean, you are going to die. You are going to spend the rest of your life in prison for even carrying a placard. Yeah, I think that there's a possibility that things could change here, but you ha- it has to be coordinated. People have to stop thinking that there's a reset button and that this is mm. all going to be 1995 again or whatever you consider to be a golden age. Obama is a symptom of a larger problem. The Tea Party is a symptom of a larger problem. These are not solutions. These are not people you look to for leadership. They are simply symptoms of well, we decay. Well, we all look to Obama as a solution because he said, yes, you can. Oh, fuck. Yeah, he did. He said exactly what we wanted to hear, and we played along with it. And no, he didn't. And the best thing you could do, and I'm not, I'm not an advocate <laughs> of the Democratic Party, but I will say this. I think the best thing that Obama could do for the Democratic Party is what LBJ did which is step the fuck down. What would he what would he do? Let himself be replaced by someone else who'd be the latest newest tool? Probably. If you really expect me to go into a voting booth in a little over a year and cast a vote for Barack Obama or whatever crazy finally floats to the top, whatever turd floats to the top of the toilet bowl (laughs) on the other side. No, I'm sorry. And I'm not going to do it. And I'm tired of the same reasoning. Well, if I don't vote and someone else will, or it's a, you know, the Republicans will all get out and they'll all vote for that. It's always lesser of two evils, blah, blah, blah. I think, I think I'm actually going to step out of myself and agree with you and say, you know what? I'm sick of that. I'm done with it. And I don't care either. Tor, you can disagree, but I am sick of voting for the lowest common denominator. The Tea Party talks about a tax revolt. Well, you know what? I would love to propose a tax revolt myself. I would love to calculate how much money I spend on support of the military, on whatever frivolous ass adventure we've got going on here, there, whatever, whatever part that I have to now pay for corporate taxes that the corporations don't have to pay because they're people and they have belly buttons. They're huge and belly button people. 
And now that tax burden has been passed on to the middle class. And now Scott Walker comes along and says, oh, you guys are just fat cats living off whatever. So we're going to cut that, too. I would like to take whatever meager dollars I have and spend those or not spend them exactly. And that's what I was saying about Christmas. That's what I'm saying about your tax dollar. I'll pay more for Medicare and Medicaid if I have to pay less to the fucking Pentagon. I will do all of those things. I will boycott businesses, whatever, but it's got to be a coordinated effort. That's the only thing that these bastards understand is the bottom line in terms of their money and their financial quarters. And is that money flow going to stop? That's the only way to affect these creatures. So Mm -hmm. my takeaway message from this whole discussion, and we we didn't talk about this before at all, but between the three of us, Support Occupy Wall Street? Yes, definitely yes. Support, support Occupy Wall, yes. Wall Street. Yes. All right. I don't there's there's nothing wrong with that at all. That's like I say the first honest political movement I've seen in this country for years. I think the real thing is the coordination. Yeah, if you can get a bunch <laughs> of people in in Egypt and Syria and Libya who are mm-hmm. tweeting and Facebooking and doing all these other things and can actually coordinate the fall of their government, I, I would think that here in this country where a lot of it was invented, we could probably do somewhat the same. Yeah, you, I would like yeah. to think. <laughs> You'd think that, wouldn't you? Well, my take on it is a little different. I think Obama's made a lot of mistakes. A lot of things have been left undone. A lot of mistakes by Failed. action and inaction. Right, exactly. Uh, too soft on the Republicans. My focus has been and will be, I want to go after the root of the problem, And for me, that's the elite corporate structure. And as it melds with the Republican Party, you know, through the Koch brothers to the Rupert Murdochs and that kind of thing. And I think we have to tear down that aspect is the primary thing. It doesn't just blend with the Republican Party. It blends with the Democratic Party. Yes, there is blending with the The Democratic Party. The political structure in general. Yeah. That's the point. It's the corporate influence on both parties. I know you're singularly focused on I, the I, Republican Party. But you are, is, you know, I'm not saying giving the Democrats a, an, an easy pass or anything like that. Yeah, but you what, are. What, what, but, but, <laughs> what, but what I'm saying is you have to go after what's the worst reflection of society right now. But don't That's ignore the Republican the Party, the Tea Party. No, I'm not ignoring it. What do you think about Obama taking money from the same groups? I mean, what that's do you not think a good about thing. that? I mean, I'm not going to like go out on a limb to try to support Obama or anything like that because he doesn't deserve it. To uh, you know, focus my attention on Obama when the majority of the problem is coming from the Republican Party. I just needed to hear you say it. <laughs> I mean, you go after no, I would w- agree w- where the major problems are. You know, it's Rupert Murdoch, it's the Koch brothers, it's the Republican Party, it's the Tea Party. Right-wing extremism is what it is. Yeah, extremism. I mean, it's right up there with but, but, all but, the but, extreme moments. But listen, movements in Menards, history. Home Depot, all of those guys <laughs> are lobbying government representatives to get their best interests met. And their best interests usually mean people get paid less, people get less vacation, people yeah. get less time off, people get less retirement and that is their fucking goal that's how laws are being made laws are not being made by people anymore laws are being made by corporations i don't think i think this goes and has gone away 
for a long time from Democrat or Republican, liberal or conservative. I think this is really just a matter of, you know, unrestricted capitalism. The windfall profits doesn't even touch it anymore. I mean, again, this year they're going to be awarding billions of dollars in gifts and and, uh, bonuses to all these people that cost us even more money because they can't fail and we had to bail them out and they're still manipulating right. the economy. Well, right. th- th- there's problems with even uh, stockholders being defrauded because the management, the CEOs of the company are getting these huge bonuses that mm-hmm. they don't deserve that really should be going to dividends to the stockholders. And you know... and the, oh, I'm sorry, Torque, please. <clears throat> we can't interrupt Tor, man. Well, the thought's gone anyway, so... <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I all I was going to say is is that to me this message is not really so much for the people that already realize that you know every day of their life. To me, it's it's to the people that think because well I'm a stockholder or I have a nice portfolio or I have a job that's earning me this much or whatever that you're somehow unaffected that somehow this isn't going to touch you or your family that you're going to weather the storm, pool what little money you have left and don't give it to these people and make it known for these reasons. That's the next phase. Hit them where it hurts, and that's the only thing they recognize. It's the only thing they think about. It's the only thing they they cherish or care about. Yeah, I'm not sure. It's how I live my life, and I try to only buy things from the smaller you know, shops, mm-hmm. but it's just very hard to avoid corporations. And corporations... <clears throat> Are people too? It's not a matter of totally avoiding them. It's just a matter of they've trained everyone to consume recreationally. If that if that tit dries up, even for a little while, they're going to panic. That's where the change comes. You're right. You can't you can't avoid all the corporations. There's no way that you can. And I'm not saying that you even need to. But I think what you do need to do is just sort of like that's how you get your voice heard. You're asking the question earlier. Does camping out here in this park really mean anything? After a certain point, no. But then you have to take it to the next level. And frankly, who knows what that next level might be? It's not efficient or productive to be pessimistic. I know, and I'm so pessimistic. No, it's not. It's it it doesn't. No, I'm I'm so pessimistic. it, It doesn't help you personally to really be. I know I'm the dark cloud on this no. because I feel like it is a pointless endeavor, but I think it should happen anyway. I mean, basically the way I feel about it is, is that if I truly feel or if truly get to a point where I feel that I just can no longer live in the country anymore, then I will leave and I will renounce my citizenship and I'll just be done with it. Like Albert Einstein. Like Albert Einstein, like a lot of people yeah. and just say, look, I think that this has gone as far as it's going to go. Whatever period it's got to work itself through, I don't really need to be a part of it right now, Mm -hmm. and I'll go somewhere else. I can't tell you how happy that would make me. So I'm not trying to say, you know, my country, love it or leave it. I'm just saying, no, I think that um, you're in one of those watershed moments right now where you've got to really understand you have to work for change or you have to simply leave. I don't think that there's any, I don't think there's a third alternative on that. I really don't. Mm Mm-hmm. I think in the end it comes down to you either have to put your your money and your actions where your mouth are or you simply have to go somewhere else that is more to what you want out of life. More agreeable, yes. Yeah, and Albert Einstein, he he came back to Germany after the first time he left. Yeah, he did for several, for, for many years actually. Yeah, 
And then he left again because they went all Nazi on him. Yeah. Well, you so, know, a lot of the, there was a lot of anti-Semitic reasons why they, oh, relativity? That can't be so. It's a Jew that came up with that idea. Yes. Well, yeah. like Goebbels, was... against a Jewish intellectualism is dead. Right. And that, of course, that meant, you know, the connection between communism and anything that basically didn't agree with. And, and I mean, I think that is, is an excellent point, too, is that intellectualism only goes so far when you just have an angry programmed mob. And, you know, what was Germany if not that? So that's mailbag, everybody. That's mailbag, everyone. We, yeah. we had a lot of Good emails. Night. We got people. a little distracted. We uh we didn't always address them all. <laughs> no, we'll yeah. get to it next time. All right, game over. I'm not gonna do it anymore. Not gonna do what anymore? I'm not gonna podcast anymore. I'm done. Ever? <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> I meant now, just right now. Are you John Connor or not? <laughs> I'm John. It's bedtime, folks. It's bedtime. night, night. Good night. Bye, bye. Rock a bye. Your baby with a Dixie melody When you croon Croon a tune From the heart of Dixie Just hang my crater Mammy mine Right on that Mason Dixon line Swing it from Virginia to Tennessee with all the love that's in ya. We. I am glad that you have me given the opportunity of expressing to you here my deep sense of gratitude as a man, as a good European, and as a Jew. Will not be my task today to act as judge of the conduct of a nation which for many years has considered me as her own. We are concerned not merely with the technical problem of securing and maintaining peace, but also with the important task of education and enlightenment. Without such freedom, there would have been no Shakespeare, no Goethe, no Newton, no Faraday, no Pasteur, and no Lisa.
we would like to apologize for the way in which politicians are represented in this program. It was never our intention to imply that politicians are weak-kneed political time servers who are concerned more with their personal vendettas and private power struggles than the problems of government. Nor to suggest at any point that they sacrifice their credibility by denying free debate on vital matters in the mistaken impression that party unity comes before the well-being of the people they supposedly represent. Nor to imply at any stage that they are squabbling little toadies without an ounce of concern for the vital social problems of today. Nor indeed do we intend that viewers should consider them as crabby, ulcerous little self-seeking vermin with furry legs and an excessive addition to alcohol and certain explicit sexual practices which some people might find offensive. We are sorry if this impression has come across.